This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Those damn trolls. <laughs> BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. That's better, H-E-L-P. And join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for true crime listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com. Betterhelp.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Please check out the link in our description box. Podcast 200 and something, and it is part three <laughs> with Tug of War. We're laughing at the comments, saying that we're laughing too much. Fake laughter, you guys are laughing too much. I can't watch this, too much laughter. <laughs> Holy shit, what is wrong with people? People need to brighten up a little bit. Definitely. You to get alive. What the hell is fake laughter in the first place? I know. It's when, fake laughter is when only you, you, you smile, but your eyes don't laugh. Yeah. I was wiping tears out I my know. eyes. I know. I know. Last time. I, I never, like me, I was... I enjoy myself. You, you, you laugh. When you're happy, you laugh. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? But some people, no matter what you do, they're going to say something bad about you. Yeah. No matter what you do. Yeah. Oh, he's doing this, he's doing that. No matter what you do, they're going to have something negative to say. You know what I mean? There's a saying, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all. If you're not familiar with Tug of War yet, go down in the description box. He's got a YouTube channel. Check out his music. He's just loving... All of you is so far that have contacted him and subscribed and sent feedback. So huge thank you to all those followers. Huge thank you to all of the followers as well that have gone over and checked out Jen on Instagram. Jen runs an organic cotton clothing company. As you can see, she's taken over my wardrobe decisions as well. And, um, and um, at the end of this video will be the trailer to Jen's company and her links, Instagram, etc. down there. 
in the description box. Love the shoes, Jen. Well, they're coming off in a sec. Wow. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the story behind them? Um, not quite sure. Beetle crushing boots, I call them. <laughs> <laughs> Troll crushing. Troll crushing boots. Can we weaponize those for the podcast wars? Yeah, they look like they, look like they can be weapons, them. They, they look lethal, them. They want a hell of a boot. So Tugger's story is, in Jamaica, has the bright idea to bring back a bit of weed. Gets busted with his missus and ends up in prison in Jamaica. So if you want the chronological journey into the Jamaican prison story, that's Tug of War Part 2. Um, part 1. Part 2 um, came out recently and we, we, we went back in more depth stories throughout his life. He wrote down about 50 stories. We've covered about five or six of them. So now we're going through his life in more depth through all these stories. And the one he's got at the top today is the priest's holy water. Yes, the priest's holy water. This is a situation and an incident that sticks with me for my whole life. And it was a friend of mine who was actually working. So when I came back from Jamaica, I was forced into the deep end of the selling weed again, big time. So I was like Tony Montana of the weed game in Hackney. So I was like selling weed mile a minute. I had a few people working for me as well. And one of the guys who was working for me, <laughs> he was, um, he got a little bit scared of the activity that was going on. It was getting very rough around the end. There was a lot of people pulling up for money. I was a lot of people money at the time. He was sort of trying to disassociate himself with me because he was a bit scared of the association with me. Was, he had people with rain because he was um, running around doing the dealing for me at some point, like doing deliveries for me and... I owed some guys a lot of money and they was turning up outside his door in Range Rovers and he was getting a bit scared of all of that. Not the same guy from the story where you were waiting for him to show up and he was taking too long. No, Joe. it's a different guy. Joe. No, no, it's Joe. Joe. No, no, Joe. No. This you guy. got to check that story out. It's one of the best we've ever heard. The reason why I talk about this guy, I'm not going to say his name, but he earned the name called The Priest after all of this. So anyway, due to his association, he tried to, he was distancing himself from me, but he was close with my father and myself. So he kept coming around to the house to see us. Anyway, I came back from Jamaica and I had the biggest raid of my life. The biggest raid where because I was in so much debt, I was taking on too much weed and I was doing business with a lot of people. And um, I was under surveillance because I'm selling mile a minute right behind Stonian Police Station. So the house was under surveillance. They had a whole operation on me, watching me. You know, so, and they were, my dad, Papa, already got raided about five times while I was in Jamaica, as you know. So I've come back into the thick of it. It's only going to happen again. Mm. I happen to have like 22 kilos in the house. So I had like... I took 20 keys off of somebody on consignment and I had a few keys there already. So I never usually have that much weed in my house ever. But this particular occasion, I had like 22 kilos in the house. And what, what gave you the heads up you were under surveillance? Because with us, we saw strange goings on. Well, I used to see police basically was my house is behind the police station. Yeah. And... Why did you get a house so close to the cops, man? You have to, you have to ask my mum. I bought the house off my mum and dad. It's, my, it's the house I grew up in. Yeah. That's like the in plain sight strategy. That's quite clever, actually. Operating in yeah. plain sight. What do you mean, in plain sight? Like, who the fuck is going to operate a drug business yeah. next to a police exactly. station? Exactly. That's how I You're I in plain sight. 
Yes. No one's going to do that. No one. No one. That's how I felt for a long time. I thought, yeah. it's so obvious, it's not obvious sort of thing. Who's going to do that right behind the police station? Yeah. It was getting to the point, obviously, we've been, the reason why I knew it was under surveillance because we've been raided five times. So they're watching us. They've already put, my dad just come out of jail. You know, so we're under surveillance big time. And down to the point where I'd be coming in the house and I see police walking across the road and I see undercovers. Well, we're right next to the police station, so you do see a lot of police, but I can tell when there's police, extra police, lurking around where I live, watching my property, watching my movements, you know? We was, we was under some kind of surveillance. Anyway, so it was lunchtime and one of the guys in my house, I just got the 20 keys the day before, funny enough. So I, was, I had a feeling that they knew there was a big amount in, bless you, in the house in the first place. That's how, because when the guy who brought it, he said police was following him and everything. Everything was really dodgy to me. Anyway, I wasn't going to keep the weed in my house. I was going to put the weed into my dad's friend's house across the road, but she had someone staying with her and I didn't trust the person, so I didn't want to put the weed there. So I just took the chance and left it in the house. It was only going to be for a day or so until I moved it. Anyway, so one guy was working for me at 12 o'clock. He was going for lunch. So he went to the kebab shop and then he got the call. He said, Tugs, the house is surrounded with police. And I said, you're joking me. And he said, it's surrounded. I said, there's people out the back. There's police out the back and the front. And I looked out the back and I saw police because I'm thinking, they're out the front. Is there is anywhere at the back so I can get the stuff out or something? And I've looked, we're, we're surrounded, front and back, surrounded. Me and, me and my dad's in there and there's like 22 kilos in there. In, hidden in different places. Some's hidden underneath the cooker. Some's in the, uh, in the wardrobe upstairs. Some's in the garage. Some of it, my dad's hidden. We had label machines because we were printing garment labels. So we was running a different business in the house as well, in the garage. So some of the, like three kilos of skunk was hidden in the label machines and we had kilos in there and the whole house was just filled in different places of weed and it was plus outside under the drain it was everywhere Dennis Nielsen yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally so I looked outside the back I see they're, they're ready to come in now they're gonna kick the door off there's nowhere to go my friends on the phone it's too late so bang door goes they handcuff me, they put me in the garden, they start raiding the whole place. My dad's going crazy out there saying, fuck off, fuck off, he says. Cunts, it's my fucking weed. He's lost it on them. I'm just sitting there like that. The Sting poster, like, you know, the event in Jamaica called Sting. It's on the wall in the kitchen. They've handcuffed me and they put me next to the... First, they had me in the garden for a bit and, they, and it was like 10, 20 officers running in the house saying, Tugger, Tugger. And they're running past me. My name's Tugger War, right? Tugger. And all these police officers are running past me saying, Tugger, I'm saying, what the fuck? I'm, why are you running? I'm here. I'm handcuffed. I'm like this. I'm getting, it's a head fuck now because I'm handcuffed in my garden. They're running in now. My, my dad's handcuffed. My ex is upstairs. They run, in, they run in the bedroom. She was naked getting changed. My mum was in the house. All four of us. Handcuffed. Anyway. <laughs> and they're all running in saying, Tugger! Tugger is doing my head in. And I said, why the fuck are you running past me saying Tugger? 
the, my, the last officer was asked, why are you, who's Tugger? I'm Tugger. Why do you keep saying Tugger? He said, it's called Operation Tugger. <laughs> I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. I said, I'm, I'm a musician. And then they handcuffed me. They put me in the kitchen. So I'm sitting next to the sting poster. I said, I'm a musician. I don't do nothing. I'm an artist. I do music. I said, and they looked at me. I said, look, that's me there on the poster. They said, sorry, we know all about you, mate. It's all right. We know all about you. So I said, oh, for fuck's sake. And we're there and I'm handcuffed and the, the phone's ringing because the phone's ringing the house, phone's ringing customers. The door's still knocking. Believe it or not. It wasn't really knocking like that because the police are outside. But believe me, in the middle of the raid now, it's where the priest comes in. In the middle of the raid, I'm handcuffed in the kitchen. We're all handcuffed. They're searching out the house. They're digging everything out. The house crawling with police. There's a knock on the door. The guy who works for me. The, now, he, he turned a little bit biblical. He got a little bit religious after trying to distance himself from me. So he became, he became a member of the Greek Orthodox Church on Mare Street. So he was going to the Greek Orthodox Church on Mare Street quite a lot. And um, he just so happened to be going there on this particular day to go and get a bottle of holy water to come and bless the house. <laughs> to bless your house? Yeah. <laughs> right. To bless my house. We're in the middle of the raid. I'm handcuffed in the kitchen like this. Dad's handcuffed. We're going mad with the police. They're pulling out all the weed. The phone's ringing. The police are answering the phone, say hello, they're pretending to be me. They're trying to take orders for weed on the phone. <laughs> I'm like, oh, for yeah, fuck's sake. He turns up at the door with a bottle of holy water in his hand. <laughs> I'm looking at him because I'm in the kitchen, I swear. I'm in the kitchen and I'm looking, I say, oh, what the fuck are you doing here? And I see him to the police and he says, he said, what do you come for? You come for weed? The police said to him, you come to buy weed? Who would you come to buy off of? The old man or the, or, or the boy? He says, no, officer. He said, no, officer, I didn't come to buy weed. I just come from the Greek Orthodox Church in Mare Street. I come to bless the house, he says. <laughs> and he's holding the bottle. He's got the bottle of holy water in his hand. Right. And the police is saying... He ain't believing him. The police is like having a laugh. He says, no, you come to buy weed. Don't lie to us. <laughs> Who you come to buy weed from? We're going to search you. you bum. He says, no, I didn't come to buy. He says, it's my uncle. He starts to say, that's my uncle and I come to bless the house. Policeman says, you come at the wrong time. <laughs> Should have come half an hour earlier. I'm looking at him like this and I'm like, I'm just like, it's the worst. I'm like... Are you fucking for real? I've been like, I've, I've seen it all now. I'm, I'm like this, like, oh, get the fuck out of here, man. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, are you serious, bro? Out of all the times in the world to come and check me with this holy water, you come in the middle of a fucking raid to bless the house? Did he start doing it at that point? <laughs> he let, you know what? I think he left the holy water with the policeman. And he put it on the side. He said, oh, could you leave this here for him? And he put it down on the side. And I'm looking at him like, you nutcase. <laughs> and it was, it was amusing for me. Because you know when you're getting, you know when you're getting raided? Like, I don't know if you're in that kind of situation. And like, you're really upset. You're pissed off. You're like, fuck, it's all gone wrong, hasn't it? Yeah. You're literally handcuffed against the thing. It's all gone wrong. I'm in my house. 
It's the biggest raid of my life. I was like, we're fucked. And he turns up with holy water. <laughs> I swear to God, it stuck in my head. So he got the name after that. We ended up calling him the priest. You called the priest from that one. <laughs> oh, it was just hilarious, man. I never see it. It stuck in my head forever because I was like, how the hell did you, like, what, you could have turned up an hour earlier. We might not have got the raid. <laughs> if you turn up like an hour earlier, we, this might have been a bit better. I'm, I'm curious as to what happens next then. How long are you in the house for watching them go through your shit? Are you watching them, like, find things or did they put you in a cop car and send you to the station? Yeah, I'm watching them find everything. What's going through your head? Describe what they're finding and what's going through your head as, as you've seen it. <sighs> I'm fed up, like, because we was going, I was in a situation where I was losing, I was losing my house. So I was under a lot of pressure. I had to remortgage the house when I come back from Jamaica. And I was in a lot of debt with dealers and a lot of, gangsters and loads of shit. So I was forced to sell weed mile a minute. So I knew it was coming. It was like a time bomb waiting to explode. So I was like, this is gonna go wrong any minute, but we're f there's no other choice. I didn't have a choice. I imagine living in a house where you, you can't do nothing but sell weed because there's so many customers knocking at the door. You, Got no other option. You got no other fuck. Where are you gonna turn down money? And we're, and your skin. I didn't even want to do it. I wanted to concentrate on my music. I've come back from Jamaica. You know, I wanted to just concentrate on that. And but and it's all right selling a bit of weed, but this ain't selling a bit of weed. This is running a whole fucking empire of weed, like a big weed base. It was at the time it was probably one of the biggest weed bases in London. People used to drive from all around to come. The door don't fucking stop. So you have no life living in the house as well. There's no life. And it's danger and all the things. And so the police, the police side of it was probably the less to worry about. Because you're worried about getting robbed. You're worried about getting this and all the, all the things that happened to my dad and things like that, you know. So it was destined to happen. So when it was happening, it was just like, oh, well, here we are. It was going to happen. I'm watching them all dig it out. It was very, it was depressing, you know. It's very depressing. Watch everything getting taken, taken Did they break away. Anything? Hmm? Did they break anything? No, no, they didn't actually break anything. But when they like, we, 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 they're taking all. Of, I mean, all of this stuff is on consignment. Mm. If it had been different, if it was my own stuff, then I would have just been worried about. I've lost money, but now I'm in big debt. You understand? I mean, it put me into a £50,000 debt. The rate. So I'm watching a 50 grand debt unfold in front of my eyes. Did they have dogs? They had everything. <laughs> they had everything. They had everything. But I'll tell you a story about the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> now, they actually didn't find everything. I was gonna. That was my next question. Are you like watching? And like I've, I knew they find that one. Knew they find that one. Knew they, but maybe that one. <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's like it was a good thing because outside on the drain, I had a Rottweiler called Kiki. Yeah, massive Rottweiler, and I had a garden out the back, but my garden wasn't that big, and there was like a big drain on the garden, 
And the Rottweiler, um, he shits a lot. <laughs> he eats a lot. Rottweilers, they're big fucking dogs. Yeah. So they eat a lot and they shit a lot. So the dog is continuously shitting. You have to clean the garden every day because he's shitting, he's shitting, he's shitting. But I've got, I've got a massive drain there. And I actually had just under 10 kilos of some different weed hidden in the drain. So there's about 10 kilos in the drain outside. And I allowed the dog, I left the garden full of shit on purpose. <laughs> dog shit saved 10 kilos for me. Wow. Trust me. <laughs> Is that why his name's Kiki? Kilo, yeah. Kilo. No, Kilo, Kilo. <laughs> you know, at the time, there was a famous weed dealer in Jamaica called Kiki. Okay. And the popular weed, the, um, the artist, entertainers, we smoked weed, a weed called Kiki when we was in Jamaica. Right. So I called the dog Kiki. Okay. That was like the popular high grade at the time. You know? Anyway, so I let the dog shit in the garden and he, it's all around the drain. And he, used, he had a thing about shitting on the drain, this big drain. And he'd, I'm talking about this, it sounds disgusting, but it'd fill up the whole drain full of dog shit. Lovely. And I never used to, like, it's... it's and I used to leave it there on purpose because the weed's underneath it. Now, no one's going to touch a fucking drain full of dog shit, are they? No. Even if you're trying... <laughs> even so, I'm thinking about... I wasn't even thinking about police. I'm thinking about someone crafty trying to find out where it is. No one's ever going to find this because it's, got, it's a drain. You're not going to look under this drain. It's full of dog shit. You have to be a grimy motherfucker to find this. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> And it's a massive drain. It's more like a, um, a water, I can't remember the right type of name for the type of drain it is, but it's like a big thing. You can fit loads is of kilos in Is it worse than that there. toilet up there? Yeah. Yeah, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. So the police, so when they got me handcuffed in the garden, they got me handcuffed right next to the, the drain. And they coming in with, I don't actually think there's a dog. I can't, I don't remember dogs, you know. I can't remember. I don't remember them bringing dogs. I had a dog. I don't remember a dog, to be honest with you. But it was like loads of officers. And they were coming with, you know, like the big drain sticks that take the, um, the drain up. So I saw one of them. I thought, oh, fuck. That's it. They're gone now because they've got the stick to take the drain. That, I know what that stick's for. Yeah. I know what that pole's for. That pole is to lift up the fucking drains to see what's underneath them. So they're going in the house, they're finding the weed underneath the cooker, they're finding the weed in the cupboards, they're finding the weed, they've gone in the, my dad's bedroom, they found the weed in the wardrobe. I'm in the fucking garden looking at the drain with full of shit on top of it. And the guys walked in with the fucking drain thing and I'm like, oh, don't shut shit, don't tell me this stuff, please don't do this. He don't open the fucking drain, he sees the dog shit and leaves it, he puts the fucking pole out and he puts the pole right on top of the drain. And just leaves it there and rests it against the wall. It's 10 keys in the drain. I'm like, ah, oh. so my heart's beating. I'm like, for fuck's sake. And they found everything in the house. Now, because they found so much in the house, they thought that was it. Yeah. Because they found so much in the house. They found three kilos of skunk. They found about 18 keys in the house. So... They thought that was it. And there was so much dog shit on the drain. <laughs> oh, man. So dog shit saved your life. It saved my fucking life. <laughs> now, well, it didn't save my life, but it enabled me. So 
they all took us away. All of us got arrested. It was a horrible day. Me, my mum, my Did dad. Did Kiki? No, Kiki was left there. Oh, <laughs> <I don't... laughs> <laughs> Kiki didn't even get cuffed. No, Kiki didn't get cuffed. I don't know what happened to Kiki. I think Kiki was with the neighbours or something. like. When, they, when the raid happened, was Kiki No, Kiki there? was there. So, like, were they apprehensive seeing this big dog, the cops? Do they, you know do they have a procedure when there's... I don't actually remember anything. You know what? I'll be honest with you. It's weird you said that. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Because I don't remember the dog during the raid, but I had the fucking dog. <laughs> like, I remember the dog shit. <laughs> it's weird about the dog. You'd mentioned the dog in the raid. Because I remember the dog shit. I remember leaving the dog shit on the drain. I remember them not finding that. But I don't remember even seeing the fucking dog in the raid. He must have, like... He must have, like, hid somewhere or something. Because he, he was a big Rottweiler, but he's a bit of a pussy. Have you seen him since? No, you know what? We ended up... You know what? It's funny. Do you know who took the dog? Who? The priest. <laughs> the priest was a dog lover. There we go. The priest loved dogs. And he actually thought this ill... Real, the dog was Ill, being... Ill, you know what? It wasn't a place for a dog. Yeah. It was unfair to have the dog there. Because it was um, it was a lot going on in the house and the police raiding and we wasn't treating the dog well. How, you know, we didn't have time for the dog, you know, so I could understand why he went. So he ended up taking the dog away. And when I came back from Jamaica one time, I had to go around his house to get the dog back because he actually nicked the dog. <laughs> and he told me he gave the dog to the RSPCA. Because this is before I went, remember, this is before I went back to Jamaica, because all of that, and then I flew out to Jamaica again, and then that's when the death threat started happening, because I was in debt. And they want to know, how the fuck did I get raided with 20 keys and then fly back out to Jamaica? I want to know. 10 keys? The 10 Ah! <laughs> ah! My brother! You got it! That's it! Oh. That was my get, that was my, that was my emergency buddy. That was my moment. So I remember like coming out of the police station, obviously like... Before you go there, before you go there, what was the conversation between your family as the raid is happening and you guys are in transportation to the cops? Yeah, what shop? was Mama War saying? Oh, bless Mama War. I'm really, I'm really sorry Mum had to go through all of that. It was horrible because it was nothing to do with Mum. Mum had nothing to do. She, Mum never smoked weed in her life. She had nothing to do with drug dealing. Absolutely nothing to do with that lifestyle at all. That's me and my dad are the bad guys. You, do, you understand what I'm saying? Mum is nothing to do. So it was just unfortunate Mum was there. You know? It was just unfortunate she was there. And, and, my, and my ex as well. You know, like, so they... And you know what? Because it was, at the time, I remember Stoke and Police Station was full up. Because we're right next to Stokey. So by rights, we'll men just go there, aren't we? It's only across the road. <coughs> it was full up. No cells. So they took my mum to Holloway and they took me, my dad and my ex to Shoreditch. So we've been taken to Shoreditch Police Station and my mum's taken to Holloway. So were you reassuring her throughout the raid? It would, she... I didn't get to talk to anyone. You didn't get to talk to anyone? No one at all, no. We were all handcuffed. The only person I was in the same room as, because we was in different rooms and it's a three-bedroom house. So where I was in the kitchen on the ground floor. My mum, I think she was in the living room, which is on the first floor. And my ex... Naked. Naked, <laughs> getting dressed in the bedroom. I remember, because she told me the police ran in on her while she was naked getting dressed. You know, so everyone was in different rooms and it's a big house and everyone got handcuffed at the same time and taken away. So, 
no one, I didn't really get to see, talk to anyone, no one at all. Mum got taken, so that mum didn't stay in for long because they knew it was nothing to do with mum, so they have to let her out and taken the rest of us to Shoreditch. What about Papa War? Yeah, so me and dad's in the same room. Oh, right, okay. When it's all going on, and he's like, <laughs> I had to stop him from, he's having a Barney with the police. Like, literally, he's having a bar and he was like, fuck, fuck off, he's mad, cunt. He's gone mad at them. I'm, 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 I'm there, so just quiet, let's watch it all play out. He's going mad at them. I'm like, dad, calm down, calm down, calm down. It's mine, tell him he's mine. Tell him he's mine, don't give a fuck. I'm like, oh, fuck, like, he's half said it to them that it's his already, sort of thing. You know what I'm saying? So I've gone in there, they've taken us all to the police station. Shoreditch police station and we've gone in the interview room. I remember because the interview was a small interview room and there was so much fucking weed. It was like the weed was in like brown packets, some big bags of skunk, brown packs, half a kilo blocks and it was full up. The interview room was full up. There was nowhere to fucking sit. And now uh, <laughs> cocky police says, cocky police cunt says, well, sit down if you can find space. <laughs> <laughs> All the weed was in the fucking interview room. There's nowhere to fucking say. I said, like, where do I sit? On a couple of blocks of weed here. <laughs> Give me that key there, I said. <laughs> I swear. And they're like, it's my house. Because the house is registered to me. It's my house. So they're like, um, so all of this is it. I said, I've never seen it before. I said to them. They said, you mean this is your house? And you've never seen any of this before? Because a lot of it's wrapped up with brown tape around it. So I said, listen, I've got a garage down there, I says, full of boxes and things. I mean, I think this, I, I, I never see, I've I got boxes down there. I don't know what this is. <laughs> so everyone's got it with the same story. And I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think my dad ended up saying that he, he was get, being threatened to hold it for someone. So that was my dad's story. He was like, I'm being threatened by someone to hold this for someone. That yeah. was his story. So did they give you bail? Yeah, instantly. So we will walk back from, yeah, we'll walk back from Shoreditch. Yeah. All the way back to um, Stokey. How long did that take? 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And was your plan to get into the drains right away? Yeah. Or were you going to, like, do it carefully? No, wait, wait for the night to leave it to calm down. So I'm on the way back. So it was that walk I was going to tell you about. So I'm doing the walk back. We're walking back from Shoreditch. We was going to get a cab, but I thought, no, we need the fresh air. The walk will do us good. We ended up walking, because we was going to get a cab or something, but we say, you know, we'll end up fucking walking. So walking back. And I, you, never, you never guess what? Uh, one of the guys who gave me the weed, it wasn't, all of the weed wasn't belonged to one person. It wasn't on consignment from one person. But one of, the, one of the plugs, he was actually drove past in the middle of the raid. <laughs> He was on his way to cover see me and he was driving past and he, he saw the he saw the car he saw the police when he was ducking in <laughs> So like he's drove past in the middle of the raid, so he knew it happened. And that was the one with most of the weed. So he come out now and I phoned him and he said he said Yeah, I said they got the lot. <laughs> it's all gone, he said they got everything. I said, yeah. yeah. They got everything. But I needed the ten keys to get back on my feet. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I needed that. I mean, I, everything was gone. Everything, I was like, even this 10 keys wasn't enough to put me back on my feet properly, but it's better than nothing. 
So did you know then that the clock was ticking on your debts and you just needed to hustle to get money to get out of the country? Were you in a race against time at that point? Yeah. And what kind of threats were coming in from the people? I wasn't in a race to get out of the country. Yeah. At that particular time, I was... Um, I was just trying to make money and do my music. I was building my studio, so I spent... I remember when I come back, I spent 5000 on my studio. So that was the first thing I did. I, like, I built my music studio. And, like, studios... It's, cheap, it's cheaper to build studios nowadays, but that, in, back then you had to... The equipment was quite expensive, so I bought, like, a £2,500 desk, a microphone. All of, I learned how to build a studio from being in the studios in Jamaica. So that was the first thing I did, build my studio. So I'm really just trying to concentrate on my music career. But I had no other choice but do the hustling at the same time. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So the debt situation, did that yeah. get resolved? Yes. Yes. Well, um, the debt situation, it took, like, the main... Yeah. Yeah, it all got resolved, of course. And that's the reason why I lost the house. I ended up losing the house. You know, I ended up losing the house, which is really sad. But I'd say a blessing in disguise because um, it was the house I grew up in, but it was haunted. You couldn't live there. It was haunted. It was haunted now by demons. <laughs> it's been, yeah, it's been haunted now. It's too many people know this house. It's they're turned into a drug base. It's not a place to live. You understand what I'm saying? You can't live in almost. Even though I've grown up in this house, I bought it off my mum and dad. I felt sorry for the people that moved in after me. Because I know years to, you're not going to get no fucking peace. They're going to be knocking at this door for 24 hours a day. I felt sorry for the people that moved in after me, literally. I knew, and you know, I had so many people say, I went to the house, you weren't there. I went to the house, you weren't there. I was like, fuck you, know, they must be getting no peace around there, the new tenants or whoever's moved in. You know what I mean? So, um, the debt, I was in 40 grand debt to one of the suppliers. It took me like four or five years to pay off the debt. Four I was paying that debt for like five years. And were they patient with you? They had to be. They had to be. It was, it was like, that was the same. That was the whole situation where... Um, so what happened is... I got a call from Leng, who's the promoter of Sting in Jamaica. And he was managing me at the time. So he's, he, and he phoned me and says, oh, I want you on Sting this year again. Because I did Sting 2002. And then this just happened. And then about a month after the raid happened, Leng phones me and says, I want you on Sting. And I really ain't got no money or anything. And he wasn't going to pay me or anything. But he wants me up on stage. So there's no wages. I'm a small artist at the time. I'm not, I haven't got no hit songs or anything. But I'm his artist and he's trying to... I've done well the year before, so he wanted me to come back and do Sting again. Amazing, I want to go, brilliant. So I had to hustle my ass off to get a plane ticket. And I ended up taking my ex with me. So I took my ex back out to Jamaica to do Sting. So while we're doing Sting now, obviously the people I owe the money to think I've run off with... They, they thought I was lying about the whole thing. They thought, So they went to the court and the police nicked the weed as well, so... 18 kilos turned into 1.5 kilos in the court. Right. So 18 kilos turned into 1.5 keys now. Where do you think it's gone? Down the pillow. Well, where the fuck? That, well, that was, that, that's when I thought it was a whole setup. <laughs> that's when I thought it was a whole setup from the beginning because I thought, you know what? I thought 
it was a police set up from the plug. I thought the plug's linked up with the police. So it's, they, they get paid double. You understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, it happens a lot. It happens a lot. Yeah. You know the fucking coup. And you know, up to today, I believe that happened. Because it was a bit ironic. I got raided the day after I got the 20 keys. Mm, tipped off. Thank you. And, the, and when the guy brought, remember I told you earlier, the guy that brought the weed in, yeah? He said police were following him. And, he, and when he brought the 20 keys in, there was like some police walking past that. It just looked a bit fishy at the time. You know, so I believe it was some kind of tip-off like that. And he brought them anyway. <clears throat> exactly. And why didn't they pull him over and take the fucking weed? And he's walking in the house with fucking big laundry bags with 20 kilos in it. Yeah, so you got the cops working with gangsters to right. re recycle the product and leave the kids, the, the people who are at the lower level in debt. Thank you. And they got off paid a debt back Thank then. You. But the product's been recycled back to the supplier by the cops and the Thank cops you. got paid off in the process. Thank you. Messed up world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> this is all thanks to the war on drugs. Legalise the shit Legalize. and it would not be happening. Designed to keep people like myself in debt. Mm. Because they get paid twice now because the cops give the weed to the people. They get paid for the weed. I get given the weed. I get put in, I, I get the weed taken away from me, but I still owe 20 grand. I mean, 40 grand. So I've still got to pay for this. So they, it's like they get paid twice yeah. and they get the weed back. Oh, try, oh leave 1.5 for the court. So when I'm in Jamaica now... Which helps Papa War. Which helps Papa War immensely because he yeah. was, his story, yeah. He, so he ended up um, busting that case basically because he told the judge that he was holding the 1.5 keys for gangsters threatening him. And because of his age and because he just come out of prison and he pulled it off. Sweet. So he pulled it off. So it was like, it was really hard to do anything that we were so on flames around there. It was really hot to do anything after that, you know? And we were still forced to, you know? So I'm in Jamaica trying to do the music now. I've flown back out there with my ex. I've used my last couple thousand pounds to get out there. Do you know what? I remember this like... not the ex from the original no, story. No, okay. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Deja vu. That one's psycho. That one's crazy. I've got stories about that one. Yeah. Um, no, this is, a, this, is a, this is another ex that I met when I come back to London. So I got with a girl when I come back to London and then taking her back out there with me. So... I mean, you know I landed in Jamaica with £200 in my pocket. Two, and stayed for f nearly six months. Wow. What were you living on? <laughs> <laughs> I made so many good friends in Jamaica. I learned how to make a living in Jamaica. That's why I'm going to get down. So I was actually hustling out there, you know, as an artist and even hustling weed and loads of stuff like that. So I was doing a lot. <laughs> and I'd, I'd had many friends. Cause I, looked, I looked after a lot of people when I had it. What's the difference between hustling weed in London versus Jamaica? Um, hustling weed anyway is the same thing, really. It's just different amounts, different um, quantities. Different profits? The profits the same. They're not the same. I mean, it depends how you sell it. I mean, weed over here is a lot more expensive in London. So English weed is just so much more expensive. But... In Jamaica, it's a, it's a big market. They grow it out there. So you can make a lot of money in weed in Jamaica because you can get it. It sells a lot cheaper, you know. But if you're selling to the right people, then you can make money. For instance, there's different dealers out there. Like, 
in the ghetto, they sell an ounce of weed for a tenner. And you can, which is very cheap, right? I did get stoned over there once. In Jamaica? Where did you, where, did what you get arrested out there? No. <laughs> I've always did what it over there. Where did you go? Montego Bay. Oh, and I, I made friends, I befriended a Canadian family and they got me uh, very stoned. This is back when Justin Bieber had just come out. Okay. And I thought, he, I remember watching him on the TV there and being like, oh my God, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was pretty strong. <laughs> <laughs> my friend tried to smuggle some back in, like these little seeds into the country and she posted some back as well. Mm-hmm. I said, and she only told us when we landed in Heathrow and I said to her, and I said, what, you sent it back? She goes, yeah, I put it in an envelope addressed, I think it was like Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse to her home. Uh-huh. I think they arrived. But I don't know what she did with it. OK. Yeah, naughty girl. Yeah, you can... You, <laughs> I've had you posted to me many times. Yeah, Jamaica but as well. the fact that she put... Oh, no, she put Janet Jackson on the fucking envelope. Are like, you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, as a fake oh, name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was it like a postcard but, or...? Uh, it was in the envelope, these seeds. OK. But apparently they did arrive, so... Yeah, yeah Janet Jackson worked. Brilliant. So, yeah. So, in Jamaica, if you know the farmer, so weed in Kingston sells more than the countryside. So, you can go to the countryside and buy weed from the farmers and bring it back to Kingston and make some money. Now, the artists, the musicians, the entertainers, they're the ones that spend the most money on weed. So, and they want the high quality weed. So, if you go and get the high quality weed from the farmers for very cheap and bring it back to Kingston, there's a big profit margin in there. But there's a little risk which I'll get into a very interesting story. You've got to drive the weed from country back to Kingston and there's so many roadblocks. So much police on the road. So there is a lot of money in weed in Jamaica. People sell weed when I was there. It's, di- it's a bit different now because you've got dispensaries and it's been decriminalised. And I've heard you, there's very, it's, very, it's, got, it's gotten more expensive over there. Like To go and buy in the dispensary, it's like... I think it's 50 euros for a free five or something like that. You know, you understand what I mean? So it's a, it's a, I think it's a bit different now. But I'm sure in the ghetto and in the hood, so to speak, it would be cheap. Weed is cheap, cheaper in the poor areas. So how, how do you navigate the roadblocks? <laughs> you can't. You've got to go through them. Bribery. 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 Now, I'll give you the biggest, the biggest story one time I had a show. <laughs> Listen to this. This is a crazy one. I had a show in West Milan, in Jamaica. And West Milan is, is a parish in Jamaica known for the best weed in Jamaica. The best weed. And it was a, it was a show and there was uh, loads of big artists on the show. Caper and Sizzler, Bounty Killer, Vibes Cartel. And the uh, promoter for the show was a guy called Gaddafi. And I was booked for the show, so I drove up there. And we drove up there, four of us. I drove in a Honda Civic. I was driving a Honda Civic at the time. And there was a female artist, a young female artist at the time. She was hanging around the studios trying to get a come up. She was like trying to be an artist. And she's hanging around the studios. She's trying to chat. She wasn't even that good, but she was trying. And she was hanging around us all day around the studios. And the opportunity, the show came up and I had a space in the car. And she said, oh, can I come? And none of us was even with her or anything like that. She was just hanging around us. So me and two mates of mine was in the car. I said, OK, come on in. So we let her come with us. So me, her, I forgot her name now. Me, her, my two mates, we all headed up to West Milan. It's like a three-hour drive. So stopped off in, in... We're driving from Kingston. In Kingston, we stopped off at a dealer called Kiki. So we went to Kiki before we left Kingston and bought... 
couple ounces of weed for the drive. So by the time we got to West Milan, and then we stopped off somewhere else, and someone else gave us like four ounces of weed. In Jamaica, weed just gives give, giving to you like that. And everywhere you go, someone wants to taste that weed, whatever. So stopped off somewhere else, got four ounces of weed. I've got six ounces of weed in the car now. Got to the show, West Milan's like the parish of weed. People are frying weed left, right and centre, and we left, right and centre. We got loads of weed on us. And I wanted to stop at a place called St Elizabeth on the way back from West Milan because I know a farmer in St Elizabeth where I can buy the weed from. I said, while I'm in the country, I want to pick up a good few pounds of weed to bring back to Kingston to sell to make some money. You understand what I mean? So I knew the farmer in St Elizabeth and I knew a friend who lived near the farmer and we wanted a place to stop by to spend the night because it was too much of a long drive on the way back for the show. So I thought, we're going to stop in St Elizabeth. We're going to spend the night. I'm going to buy a couple pounds of weed from this farmer and then we'll hit the road tomorrow. Go back to Kingston. Now, I've got to go through roadblock, obviously, tomorrow, but we'll sort that out in the morning. So when we get up in the morning now, I bought about four pounds of weed from the farmer. I only, only wanted three pounds. I paid for three and he gave me one extra for free. So I got like four pounds. Yeah, very kind. Lovely guy. Lovely guy. He doesn't even smoke the guy, but specialist farmer. St. Elizabeth, the weed's amazing. So we're there and I'm figuring, like, we're like in my mate's house, I've got like the pans of weed in the bag and I'm trying to figure out where am I going to fucking hide this now. So I've opened up the boot and I've taken out the, the interior of, you know, the, the boot. So like the carpet, the upholstery sort of thing, I've ripped it, not ripped it, but pulled it aside and stuffed the weed all behind the panels of the boot. It all hid properly, whatever, you know, sealed it up as good as I could. I said to everybody, I said, yo, listen, we're going back now. We've got to pass a place called Spur Tree Hill. Now, that's a famous, anyone that's familiar with Jamaica and they know a place called Spur Tree Hill is a road. They know there's a police block, roadblock there all the time. Right. Nearly every day. You're guaranteed to be a roadblock on Spur Tree Hill. So we know that. And there could be a roadblock anywhere else as well at random. You could be just blood. You could just go down the roadblock, roadblock. Police. You're looking for money. You know what I mean? But the one, the one we're sure about is Spur Tree Hill. We know for sure there's going to be a roadblock in Spur Tree Hill. So everybody, please, make sure you ain't got no weed on you. I'm going to take, I took out about seven grams of weed. I said, look, that's enough weed for the journey. I said to my mates, me and someone, I said, you guys, make sure you ain't got no weed on you. I said, to, the girl don't smoke. So I ain't got to ask her. She don't even smoke weed, the girl. I'm like, cool. You definitely ain't got weed because you don't smoke. You two now, make sure you ain't got no fucking weed. Cool. Bang. Jump in the car. I roll a big, I roll a big joint for the journey. We're driving back. Coming up towards the stop check now, I see them, I see the police. I say, hey, here we are. I fucking, the car stinking a week. I've been smoking a spliff still. Bit silly of me. Knowing I've got all these pounds in the fucking boot. <sighs> see, I said, bloody, I threw the spliff out the window because I, I was hoping that they might not have been there, but they was there, obviously. <laughs> so I threw the spliff out the window. I said, here we go. So, policeman, pull over, pull over. Pulled over. The car's still going. Come out the car. Come out the car. 
<laughs> so officer. You start searching everybody straight away. You can't stink, Oe. Search them. So the first, the girl in the front, she's sitting in the front seat with me and my two mates are in the back. She's got a rucksack with her because we've gone for the night. She's brought a change of clothes. She's got a rucksack with her. First thing they start searching is her rucksack. They pull out about four ounces of my weed out of her fucking rucksack. <laughs> right in front of me, I'm like... Bomba I start saying in front of the police. And the police say, yo, I'm going to lock you up for bad one. Because that's a swear word in Jamaica and the police will lock you up for swearing. Like. But I can't say, I'm looking at her like this fucking tooth my weed, you bitch. You fucking idiot, bitch. You're going to get some fucking nick now. The bitch don't smoke, but she's skin. <laughs> the bitch is skin, so she she wants it. So she she comes from yeah, she comes from my little poor area in Kingston. She wants the teeth, go and sell it back in. I was better off you asked me for some fucking money. I would have give it to you. She teeth so while we were sleeping or whatever, because the weed. Well, remember we stopped off at my mate's house while I'm sleeping. Or the weed was all on the table before I hid it in the car. She had plenty of opportunities to take. We're not, you don't exactly hide weed in Jamaica. I'm not expecting anyone to fucking teeth weed. Like what I said, weed gets given to you. I told you I'd drive up the road, someone gave me four ounces. Like, if you wanted four ounces, I'll fucking give you four ounces. You want four ounces, I'll give you. You want, you want four ounces to go and sell? Take eight. Just don't fucking teeth. So I'm looking at her now, I'm standing by the car, I'm on the, I'm on the driver, so it's a left-hand driver, remember, it's a left-hand driver, fucking Honda Civic. So I'm on the left-hand driver and I'm looking at her like that, I'm like, you fucking bitch, and they've handcuffed her now and put her in the police car, I'm like, good, you cunt. <laughs> Dirty cunt. Whatever happened to her? I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So that, uh, anyway, they start searching the boys now. They've brought a change of clothes as well. Remember the weed that I bought from Kiki on the way up? They've only put in their shoes and we forgot about that one and it's in their shoes and they forgot about that weed and... I see them pull out their trainers and pulling bags out of the weed. I was like, oh, for fucks. I told you guys to... Ha Didn't I say... I warned everyone before we got in the car. I said, please, make sure no one's got no fucking weed on them. I started telling, I started going extra. I was like, please, don't have no weed. We're going stop check. I've got four pounds of weed hidden in the fucking boot. Please don't have no weed on you. They've all got fucking weed on them. <laughs> My mate, every pocket the police is pulling out, he's a spliff. A spliff there's one there's one there. <laughs> I'm looking at him like this. I'm like, are you fucking for real, bruv? Like, I told you on the way. Anyway, they're all in the police car. <laughs> Handcuffed. Jeep, police jeep. It's only me one on the road now of all these police officers. They ain't finished searching. The weed's in the boot. I've just come out of prison not long ago. I don't need this shit. I'm going back to jail now. I think. So anyway, they're searching. They're finished searching the car. They found so much. I thought, you found enough. I was thinking, you found, because they found quite a bit. They've got four ounces out of her bag. They've got fucking ounces out of him shoes. I was thinking that's going to work in your favour. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, you, know, you found it. You found yeah. it. You found it. You're not going to search no more. No, the cunts want to search. Oh. 
I'm looking at them like, please don't say it's no more. They've opened the boot. I'm standing by the boot now. Remember the, the event called Sting? I've gone out there to do Sting. Lengs give me loads of posters, so I've got them all in the boot. I've got big posters and small posters where we're going around Jamaica promoting the event. So I'm giving the posters to people as we go out, putting them up places, promotion. I saw the poster in the boot. I'm, my picture's on the poster, isn't it? I was like, officer, officer, I'm, look, I'm, do you know Leng? I know they know Leng, because Leng's a gangster, mafia police, ex-police, but very powerful guy. Whole police force, man. I start acting the dumb British citizen. <laughs> I start playing the, the dumb British citizen role. I said, officer, um, do you know Leng? I don't want to get in trouble with the police officer. I'm being booked by Leng. I've come over from England. Leng brought me over from England to do a show called Sting. I pull out the poster and I'm showing them. Look, you see that? That's me. That's me. It's all like six police officers, young guys around me. None of them don't recognise me. Like, mm, is that you? <laughs> They're looking at the poster. Is that you? One older police officer, about 50, 60 years old, comes over and says, me know him, man, me know him. Me see him perform at Barrington Levy show in St. Elizabeth. And he mash up the stage. Yo, sing. Chat me the lyrics where you sing about the yam and banana. I'm like, Cause this song called Request to the Farmer. He goes, me not banya, but me anya. Requested the farmer. Them a plant the cho-cho, yam and the banana. Down in the west, me get the high-grade marijuana. Me love Jamaica, me not left. Oh, yeah. So that was one of my popular lyrics in Jamaica at the time. Yeah. And he remembered the fucking lyric. This 60-year-old police officer. The young boys didn't know what was going on. These older guys come and say, me know him, man, me see him. I'm standing by the boot. They're just about to rip the boot apart. I pulled the poster out and I'm giving them the Leng story and all of that. And they sent me to perform. And the officer says, can you chat me the lyrics about the banana? Yeah, man, banana. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm doing a stage show for the police by the boot. The boot's open. Six, seven police officers there and I'm chatting the lyric. Performing all day. It's after, after I've um, performed the first song, <laughs> turned into a stage show on Spurtry Hill. <laughs> They've all gone, bap, 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 bap. I'm looking, I say, yeah, I've got them. I've got them, I've got them. Listen. Give me the one about your third. You remember the other lyric? Give us the lyric about your third leg. Your third leg? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give them another one. And then I'm like, what is it, the lyric? Me come fit turn on the heat now. I fit till they get them from early me now, Oh, me, I go kill it with the pressure from down low. Is she all a ball and start fit big now? When talk a while, start sink me third leg now. It's just... He remembered the fucking lyric. He remembered the fucking lyric. He said, sing me the one about your third leg. I'm like, fucking hell, this guy's good. He knows my songs. These ain't even records. <laughs> Never, I've never released them. They were just chatting on a stage show. So he remembered me. He remembered the lyrics from the stage show. So I've gone into song number two on the stage. On the, I swear to God, like... Next week he's giving you a mic or something. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up doing a one more song. Three songs I performed for them on the roadside. 
By the third song, I've got the whole police off now. That's it. The search is over. The search is over. They're all in the... They're watching. They're in... All the, the girl and my two mates are handcuffed in the Jeep. They're watching me perform to the police. I swear to God. By the third song, I've got them all weak now. They don't want to say it's not more. I'm looking at the boot like, just close this fucking boot. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Because that's, like, that's why I'm doing all this extra shit. I'm like, perform. Yeah, how many songs do you want? Come, let's go. <laughs> I kept perform, perform. So I've got the week by the third song. That's it. The search was kind of over. They weren't searching no more. They were all like, happy. Oh, he's wicked. He's good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Bang. The older guy who recognised me, I could see he likes me. Obviously, he's the one that come and recognise me. I pulled him aside. I says, he's, like, he said, he pulled me aside. Because they didn't actually find anything on me. Remember, I ain't got no weed on me. So he comes and he says to me, look like you're driving back to Kingston alone, he says to me. <laughs> They're all in the fucking police car, aren't they? I'm like, ah, oh, officer, come on, man. Sort, sort the man, man. Sort the man. Let, try and let the man. I was trying to get the weed back off him. He's like, sort the man. <laughs> he says, Look after me and the boys. I only had a couple thousand Jamaican dollars on me. It was about 20 quid. 2,000 Jamaican dollars, I remember I gave him. Gave him 2,000 Jamaican dollars. He let them out of the fucking car, got them all out. Sweet. We weren't getting the weed back. They kept the fucking weed, but they found on them. Got them all out of the car. I wanted to get her out more than anyone, because you? <laughs> I'll have a word of you. <laughs> I'll have a word of you now, you know what I mean? So I got them all out of the car. We're driving back to Kingston now. I fucking, I, I was, I tore, I tore her head off the whole way back. What were you saying? I just cussed the shit out of her the whole way back. I said, you thiefing bitch. Why don't you just fucking ask me? You know what I mean? That could have got us all fucked. I got four pound of weed in the boot. Them lot was all right. Not all right. Them lot was idiots as well because they had the weed and they forgot to hide their bit of weed. But it wasn't so much. She's got a massive chunk in a fucking, in a fucking, um, Carrier bag in a rack sack. You know, the other guys just genuinely forgot that they had weed from the previous day where we, the weed that we bought in Kingston, because we, so, we went through so much weed, I can understand they forgot. But I'm thorough with my shit. I'm like, make sure you ain't got nothing. You know, I was the one that nut them. So they was all going to jail. I had to pay, pay them out to come. So that was a funny story, man. So it's like, she nearly got me in big trouble. You know what I mean? She teethed the fucking weed. <laughs> but performing to the police was crazy. Crazy. Did so you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> did you have nothing to do with her after that? Nothing. Nothing. That was it. That was it. Now, after that, we dropped her back at the shoe. We wouldn't even look at her again. We wouldn't even look at her again. I was like, fuck you. You're a liability. I can't have people like that around me. And, you know, it's like, I did her a favour. Because she was no one. And she's shit as well. Yeah, she is. She's a what? She's rubbish. She wasn't a good artist, but she was there trying to do music and I was trying to support. Okay, come. I'm, I was, I'm the one with the car. They all want to go to the event. You understand what I mean? Oh, let me come with you. Come. So I let her come. And looked after her. Bought her food, whatever. Da, 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 da. You know what I mean? It's continuous. With the police, it's a continuous paying them off. And the, the more... Popular, I got over there, the more I'm getting taxed. It come to a stage where I'm pulling up in traffic. 
in like Kingston especially, I'll pull up on the traffic lights and police will pull right next to me. And I'll have a spliffy man. And they'll say, Tagawa, where I say Tagawa? Give me something now. <laughs> and I put, and literally the, the lights have gone green now. And they've stopped still. And I'm putting the money through the window. That's how, that's how like, they didn't get, it come to the point where they don't even get out of the car no more. We do it like drive-by, drive-through. Yeah. I was like, well, go on. I'm just like, yeah. Literally, everywhere you see, I don't want to see anywhere you see them. It's like, fuck, you know, because you, you give them money. Even so, when I'm like, I always leave 500 Jamaican dollars in the ashtray in the car. Just for that. Get out of jail money. So I might go home, might spend all my money one day. I will not spend that money because I need, I might have to pay off a policeman on the way home. We had a guy called Chet Sandu and he was in Karachi and he had a similar situation. Mm. But it got to the point where like some police major or sergeant or something came to him and said, you just give me the money from now on. You don't, you don't have to deal with anybody else. Okay, well that's <laughs> did, handy. Did you, did you get to that? I wish. <laughs> yeah, I wish. You got motherfuckers left, right and centre. Yeah. Like ridiculous. Ridiculous. Like left, right and centre to the point you get fed up. Like you get fed up. And there was... Um, the more the news got around about me as well, they, even immigration like was looking for me over there as well. And police are trying to tax you left, right and centre. I mean, even the more I stayed over there, like one policeman kept me on the roadside for 45 minutes once telling me, you know, you know, I, they didn't find nothing. I didn't have no weed on me. I did, but it was hidden. He didn't find anything and nothing wrong. The car's straight. There's nothing wrong. And do you know what his problem is? I've been in Jamaica too long. I need a Jamaican driving license. I can't show him this British one no more, he's telling me. He's standing on the foot. He says, Tagawa, you can't show me this British Jamaican. You've been here too long to show me this British driving license. I'm, I'm looking at him like, you think I'm going to change my license to a Jamaica? Are you crazy? He's down the foot. I have to pay him off for that because he's telling me I'm driving illegal because I'm in Jamaica too long. I need a Jamaican driving license now because the police, that's any little excuse to tax you. So was it worth it then to stay there for the gig with Sting? Was, how did that go down? Oh, brilliant. Amazing. Amazing. Like, I, that was like one of the best shows. It was amazing. It was amazing. A lot of passion went into it because of the situation, what I was going through at the time as well. So it's like, I was under a lot of pressure with what with the whole situation I explained to you. So I was out there on a mission and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And it was like, I made, it made history. It was like one of the best events of my, it was like, that was the event, 60,000 people. Yeah, it's Is that like, your biggest? Yeah, yeah, it's like my biggest, apart from Glastonbury, I'd say that's the biggest, yeah. So you're looking at 60,000, that's yeah. just like a natural high, is it? Yeah. You yeah. feel the electricity from the crowd. Exactly. Exactly, it's, it's amazing, it's amazing. Better than drugs? Absolutely, absolutely, much, much better than drugs. Much better than drugs. There's no explanation, that's what I'm in music for, I mean, performing... <laughs> better than daggering? <laughs> <laughs> What was it I called it? Javelin. Javelin. I was watching that back the other day, yeah. It's oh, ain't Javelin. You're talking about daggering. Yes. And daggering ain't anal sex. Well, I've now created something for the, up, for the Urban Dictionary now, haven't I? Yeah. So you can have that. Yeah. Do you have to jump out of a van or can you just jump off a stage? Well, if, we, if we're going to put it in the Urban Dictionary, it's got to be a van. <laughs> back of the van. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh, man. Uh, no, that's, I saw that. It's daggering. It's daggering. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Daggering. I, got um, I got corrected after. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was daggering, yeah. 
Yeah, it's That's crazy. There's a lot, a lot of that in Jamaica. A lot of that in Jamaica. <laughs> Have you done it? Oh, yeah, I love a bit of daggering, me. <laughs> <laughs> You've done daggering? No, I ain't done daggering. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, not very, I'm not a very good dancer like that. No, oh, no, no. no. <laughs> that's, that's, that's for the dancers. That's for, that's for the younger kids. <laughs> just, just to clarify then, what happens with that giving? It's a dance. It's, it's, it's like a dance. It's, it's, a, it's a sexual dance. Yeah, it's a sexual dance. Yeah, yeah. It's a sexual dance. It's like a sexual dance of a man giving a woman a back shot. <laughs> really hard and fast. So it's like, dagger. Daga, daga. So if you like back shots, you'll love it. <laughs> but it's not anal sex. No, there's no, no sex involved, is there? No, there's no, no. sex involved. So in javelin, there is now. Is there? Oh, that's what I'm well, you've created it. <laughs> yeah. You've created a new wave, Jim. Oh. You've created a whole new wave. Oh, mate, I tell you. It's, I mean, there's it's, it's a lot of raw dances in dancehall. A lot of sexual orientated dances. Like so, it. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It's entertaining. Definitely. How long are you on the stage for at that event? Uh, about 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Yeah, about 20 minutes, yeah. yeah. And um, after party, like, this is a big thing for all the artists? Yeah, I mean, that event was crazy because that event was the same event where Vibes Cartel ended up having a fight with Ninja Man on stage. So um, it all kicked off after that event. Yeah, it was all crazy. We was hiding underneath the stage for 45 minutes. They got two separate crews that are... Yeah, because they started bottling. So we're in the VIP section, which is the f right at the front. It's just kind of separated from the main crowd, but it's right near the front of the stage. And they started throwing bottles from the back and the bottles ain't hitting the stage, it's hitting everyone in the VIP section. All my mates got hit on the head with a Guinness bottle. It was like, I mean, it, was, it was really bad. It was like trampies of people running up and down, people getting trampled, gunshots firing. It was a bit hectic for a minute, yeah. I was out, I, I was out underneath the stage for 45 minutes, half hour waiting for it to cool down and I fucked off out the venue. So that, yeah, it, it's not usually like that, but it, it was uh, that event, that one day went a bit haywire towards the end because two of the artists who were clashing ended up fighting and then um, it all went a bit pear-shaped. What was their beef? It was just over clashing and um, they was on stage. It was Ninja Man versus Vibes Cartel. So they were both clashing for the night. And when, when they got a bit too close to each other, I think one of them pushed each other and then one of them kicked each other. And then, and it, that never happens usually. It's usually really professional. Even you see some of the really toughest guys go head to head and never no physical contacts, just music. You know what I mean? It got a bit too tense and it, it went somewhere it shouldn't have gone, which is not musical. No one wanted to see that. And that's why the crowd got upset as well, because it spoiled the whole night. Did it get stopped the night? Uh, more or less, they tried to carry it on, but it spoiled it. it. The damage was already done because so many bottles got thrown and people got hurt. It was even the next day on the news, a, a pregnant woman lost her child, got oh, trampled. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, and she was a big news reporter. Mm. Yeah, one famously, like people like that, things like that. It was, it was a very bad look. It was a, yeah, it wasn't a great look. It wasn't a great look. It was a disaster towards the end. And they don't even keep the event no more. And that kind of sport, it was the last, that was the last thing I'd say, to be honest with you, because after that, it was never the same. Mm, especially if someone lost Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And there was other casualties as well, so it was. So was Sting at the after party then? What do you mean? It was like an after party with Sting and everything. Well, yeah, what do you mean with Sting? Were you guys all partying with, 
Oh, oh the, no, the event's Sting called... Sting wasn't there. No, Sting oh. not the guy. That's the name of the event. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the artist called Sting. No, you're thinking, he was there. You're thinking of Sting. Yeah, no, 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 no. He's over in wheelchair. No, no. Yeah, he, he would have been. Sorry, Sting. Yeah, he's all right, Sting. Keep up with the tantra. Yeah, no, he's all right. He, he, he does a lot with reggae, though. He just put out an album with Shaggy. He's right in. He does. I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, Sting's very reggae. Is he? Very reggae. He just put an album out with Shaggy not long ago. He works very close with Shaggy. He's, he's very reggae. Cool. Even um, is 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 all his hits are reggae influence. I'll check it out. Yeah. yeah. Even like um, what's it? I'm in New York. Yeah, they're all. It's all reggae. Yeah. <laughs> I can't a, lot, a lot of reggae riffs and stuff like that. I'll check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of reggae riffs and Sting's very reggae. Didn't um, Alex Reed come out to Roxanne? Yes, when he was fighting, yeah, one of his fights, yeah. dressed just up had Alex Reed, as a woman. Yeah. Even Sting done, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an Englishman in New York. Isn't he? Yeah, yeah. That's reggae. I won't even that's, that's, to sing that one. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's very no. reggae, though, isn't it? What happens at the after party then? What wild? Got any wild stories? After party stories. <laughs> the after parties, alright. The the parties in Jamaica are very wild. Yeah. Very very wild. Very well. So you're walking in, and what kind of shit do you see? Well, you go, you can, you can see anything in an after party in Jamaica. Depends what type of party it is. Where it gets real wild is in the go-go clubs. Oh, five go-go girls. Yes, I'll tell you. That. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a strip club. Yeah. Yeah. Strip clubs. They're called go-go clubs. Strip clubs, same thing. That's uh, a strip club in Jamaica is like a pub over here. So it's so like rather than going to a pub, you go to a strip club. You know, it's that regular in Jamaica to go to the go-go club, to go to the strip club, you know? So that's where most after party, when the events are done, you'd be at the strip club. And what's the rules in the Jamaican go-go club? Is it like America, no touching? Or is it like oh, Me no, Mex Mexico, touching. back rooms, extra yeah. deals, that kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah. How do you know so much about that? I've been told. <laughs> it's, there's different clubs in Jamaica. There's different clubs with different rules and stuff like that. But you got some, the go-go clubs over there is like, um, yeah, you, the girls are winding up on you or whatever. And they got rooms out the back. Javelin. Loads of javelin. <laughs> loads of javelin. Loads of daggering. <laughs> loads of, you might have like live sex show in the middle of the place and... Like it used to be go is a strip club right opposite the studio I used to work at. So like be midday, we'd be in the bloody go-go club for lunch. Like just that like just just for having a drink and then some wild shit's going on in there. Like you don't even have to wait for the after party. <laughs> to, to be honest with you, it's wild all day long in, in these places. But yeah, so I had a, I had a, a mad friend come over from London once. He got sent over to put his artist on Sting with me. He got wrongly informed to come over to Jamaica. So he flew all over, he went from London to Miami to Jamaica and I sent someone to pick him up and he, he um, ended up coming Sting with me. And I was with my ex at the time, the one that I smuggled with. Me and her were going through, like we was, we, we was, we was splitting up basically. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't working. She was, I was telling her to go back to England. I'm going to stay on my music career, but she wasn't actually wanting to go at the time and, and stuff like that. And he's come Can all... I just mention there's a helicopter going above us right now. Are they here for you? Or you? They're probably here for me. <laughs> I'm here! <laughs> Can you hear it? Yeah, yeah. So this guy come over, um, we ended up taking him out one night 
to the Go-Go Club opposite the studio. And we knew, was, we knew I, I didn't know how mad he was until we took him to the Go-Go Club. And he says, so he went in there and he, he looked at the ugliest girl in the place and he says, I want to fuck her. And I was like, what? Are you sure, bruv? So like, it's only, we, we got loads of other clubs to go to tonight. Like, it's, this is the biggest riffraff club you could imagine in Keith's out. I want her. I was like, oh, fuck. So I talked to my mate who was with us. I said, he knows all the girls in there. I was like, he wants her. He says, tell him it's 1,500 Jamaican dollars. I said, like, it's 15 quid. I said, it's 15 quid if you want her. He says, I want to give her 300 quid. <laughs> I'm looking at him like, bro, he said it's 15 quid <laughs> for her. He says, I know, but I want to give her 300. And I'm looking at him like, and I just told my mate, he, said, he wants to give her 300, and he's looking at me like, oh, fuck, fuck, this guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> She's not worth a tenner. Oh. He's took her, anyway, he's, took, he's, gone, he's gone in the room with her, he's taken her back into the room, and he come back, he gave her 300 quid. And we're looking at him, he said, what's this geezer's fucking crazy? What are you doing? I said, let's go to a better go-go club because this is no good. So we took him to like one of the best go-go clubs in Kingston. So if you're going to spend money like that, we might as well go somewhere. How much did you get on him? He had, he, his, his, his budget was countless. He had about 10 grand on him. He had about 10. Yeah, I went Western Union with him. He took about 7,000 off the Western Union. He rented like a Lexus Jeep. He had countless money, this geezer, at the time. He was, his budget was big. <laughs> so he's got... <laughs> He's what, what's he look like? Huh? Can you say what he looks like? I'll describe him a bit. Yeah. yeah big, light-skinned dude. Yeah. Looked a bit like... Um, um, Should we give him a nickname? <laughs> he looked like... Um, fuck it, no. Oh, I can't even think. What it, oh, that. Was he tall? No, he was, he was quite fat. He looked like... Uh, what's that artist, that old... Fat artist, I forgot his name now. <laughs> Biggie Smalls? No, he looked look like, a little bit like Biggie. But white? No, light skin. Light Mixed skin. race. Right. Oh, a bit, Heavy D. Heavy D. Looks a bit like Heavy D. Heavy D. Yeah, you remember Heavy D? No, don't. Are you remember Heavy D? All right, cool. So you have to look yeah. it up. That's what he looks like. It looks a bit like Heavy him. D. I'll look at him. Yeah, now. you have to look at him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Curious. Oh. Heavy D. Oh, hello. Is that him? Yeah, Jamaican-American like rapper. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the closest you get, yeah. Heavy <laughs> D. It's a bit fuzzy. Oh, yeah, the signals. Got got There's another guy with blonde hair on there. Heavy D, was that him as well? It was jazzy in that one. Is that him as well? No. I think that might have been when he got older, to be honest with you. Cause of death? Oh, he's dead? Yeah, he is, yeah. And the one I'm telling you about. Big Brother's Heavy D, that is. Did he go on Big... No, no, that's a different Heavy D. No, that's a different Heavy D, yeah, yeah. He probably called himself Heavy D off of the original Heavy D. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, he looks like a character. Yeah, he does. He does. Maybe James could pop a picture up of him. He's a he's a fucking character, right? This one I'm telling you about. Yeah, yeah. So we've gone to the second Gold Gold Club, which is a much better Gold Club. Which Sean Paul's father took took me to this Gold Gold Club, 
strip club, which is a, it's got some nicer girls in it. It's got some of the nicest girls in there, in Kingston. So I took him there and he starts spending his money there. And, and he's spending thing. his money. There's no, this is a much more expensive strip club, so you can't actually take the girls in no rooms in this one. There's not no rooms out the back of this one. But what you can do is wait for the club to close and take them where you want. That's then this between you and the girls. Because it's actually illegal to do that, obviously. But some of the little ghetto ones, you, they do it. But anyway, so he's in the strip club, he's spending his money, spending his money, and he's picked about five of the best dancers which he likes. The night's done now. He's, he, remember, he's booked into the Pegasus Hotel, which is like a nice hotel in New Kingston, which is like a posh park, Kingston. And he's booked into a posh hotel there. And he's going to the strip club. And it's four, half four in the morning. Now, strip club's about to close. He's rented out this Lexus Jeep as well. Uh, and he's, he's taking all five girls back in the... In the Boy. <laughs> <laughs> he took all five girls back in the Jeep. Them girls never went to work again in their life. <laughs> they never went to work again, ever. No, this, uh, three of them come to England. He brought them home with him. He took them home. He went to prison because of them. No, why? And he killed himself in prison. Oh, oh my God. Slow down, slow down. <laughs> Let's go over this. I want to hear how this night. I want to hear how this night. This night ends. This is a whole week. Few. I had about. You know, I was months with him out there. I had about two months with him out there of chaos. Chaos. Absolute chaos. This was so the first. These girls home. Huh? Before that. Before that though. Yeah. Do the rest of the month. Yeah. <laughs> Tell it all in order of what happened. All right. The order of what happened was he flew over from Miami with this, with his with his artist which is a good looking girl who was trying to rap at the time. And he was told that he was going to get his artist on stage with me on Sting. I looked at him and said, who the hell told you that? He says, my mate in London. I phoned him. I said, what the fuck did you tell him to fly from Miami to fucking Jamaica to put his artist? I said, I looked at him. I said, I don't know your artist. Furthermore, it's my show. Even if I knew her, she's not coming up on stage with me. So he was upset from the get-go with me straight away. He's flown from London to Miami to Jamaica because he thinks his artist is going to go on stage with me and sting. And he's landed the day before sting. I used to sell weed to him in London. I know him vaguely. He doesn't smoke weed. He used to buy weed for the girls. It's crazy. <laughs> so, God, God bless. Yeah, God bless us. God bless the dead. So, so he comes. That's the first. So the first day, he actually comes sting with me. Did he get pelted? I, he, do you know what? He filmed me, and he wouldn't give me the footage. <laughs> Then I ended up taking, then he wanted to do, because he, he, he made a lot of money. He was the first guy to do mixtape stuff. He was doing big mixtape business. He was making £20,000 a week selling mixtapes. This geezer was crazy, but very talented and knew how to make money. None of that money he was making was illegal. He was very clever. He was a very talented designer. He had a lot of talent. So they said some of the craziest people got a lot of talent. He was really talented. He was making a lot of money as well. That's when uh, mixtapes, bootlegs, 
was selling. He was making money off a bootleg. He was bootlegging artist stuff. He bootlegged like 50 Cent before he came out and made money. And he was bootleg people. He was making money off it. And he used to put my songs on his bootleg CDs, which was very popular at the time. So it was good for my songs. So that's how. And he started recording me in Jamaica. So I, I was doing business with him because he was paying me to record. He'd give me like 1,500 quid to do a song. And he was going around the studios throwing money at people because he had money. Like, he'd see a little poor kid on the road and give him... He used to buy guys bikes and it was crazy what he was doing out there. So I, I thought, this geezer's mad embarrassing, but he's got a lot of money to spend. So I took him to one of the smaller studios. Because I thought, he's, he's going to fucking embarrass me if I take him to the main studios because he's crazy. But he's got a lot of money to spend. So I took him to the smaller studio, one small studio in a plaza in Kingston. And he was recording people in there and he was just spending thousands and thousands and thousands. So I was like, all right, let's keep him there. He's spending his money. So obviously he's going to the, so the first week, first day we've gone to Sting. He's, he's, he's a little bit weird with me over the Sting situation. He thinks it's me that don't, I was like, brother, it's my booking. I don't know your artist. Even if I did, she ain't got no songs with me. She's not coming on stage with me. Don't get upset with me because of that. But he's, I could see he was getting a little bit that with me. Now, I'm going through a lot with my ex at the time. I'm, tr I'm half trying to get rid of her, to be honest with you. Because she ain't leaving me alone. Sure yeah. I was telling her, go back to England. I need to, like, you need to go back to England, sort out your life. Look, here's your, I'll pay for your ticket tomorrow, fly away, go. She don't want to go. And I've kicked, I'm in war with her family in Spanish town, so I ain't going back to you, you and your family in Spanish town. This ain't working between us. You know what I'm saying? You need to crack on. She won't leave me alone. So at the time I had him and her doing my fucking nothing. That's what I'm saying to you. The prison was the easy part, Sean. <laughs> Spanish town prison was the easy part for me. This is the hard part. These people. <laughs> this craziness, like that's why I said, what I did after prison is phenomenal. And this is just the scratching the surface. Now this guy. Every Yeah, every day. So he's, he's a little bit weird with me, but he's spending money, he's spending his bloody thing, he's putting a bit of money in my pocket as well. So I've got him around, and I know him as well, he's from London, so I'm sort of trying to look out for him. You know what I mean? I've, I've sent guys to pick him up. I sent my mates to go and pick him up from the airport. I'm like, you can get robbed around here, brothers. You can get fucked out here spending this money. I've got, I'm sort of protecting him as well, making sure he don't end up in the wrong situation. There's a lot of people want to eat your food out here. Do you get what I'm saying? Anyway, so when we get, so he's recording and this and that, and he goes to the Gold Gold, and then we go to the Gold Gold Club, and he spends all his money, and he's, takes these five girls back to the fucking hotel and the next day he takes them to the fucking hairdressers and does their hairs. Because I, I had a phone, I, had, I was in contact with one of the girls, so I ended up phoning one of the girls. He said, where are you? She says, I'm in the hairdressers. He says, he, he just took us to do our hair. And Nels, he's the, the prostitutes. He's taking them from the Gold Gold Club into the hotel. Then the next day, the guy make, make the makeovers, all of them, all five of them. I'll give you the joke thing, he never slept with them. He wasn't even interested in sleeping with them. He was just... So he, was, he didn't sleep with them? No. no. Wow. No. He wanted them looking all nice, pretty. Yeah, I don't know what he was. He was just like, wanted to be King Zumunda so with all of them. his posse then? Huh? Were they his posse then? Yeah, he turned them into his posse. And he flew, he, was, he had a girl with him. 
Yeah, the girl staying in this hotel room with him already that he flew from Miami with. This girl's from, um, and she's a decent girl from London. She was trying to be an artist. That was the rapper he brought. He was like managing her at the time. Was she with him with him? Nah. Okay. Nah, she weren't with him with him. So she's, she's got uh, an posse of women now. <laughs> yeah, in the hotel room. And she's phoning him up saying, Tiger, I can't fucking take this. He's gone mad. He's got all these fucking girls in here. <laughs> I end up now. What ends? What ends up happening? I end up telling. I end up telling my. I'm not. I'm not trying to. In the process of breaking up with my ex at the time, I get a phone call one night because I've, I've like kicked her out the house or something, or me and her weren't talking, or she. I wasn't having her around or something, and I got a phone call. She's with him. She's in the hotel room in the bed with him, with the five girls. The other girls phone me, the one that from England phone me says, Your girl's here with Lee. Your girl's here with Heavy D. Heavy D. I'm like, eh, I lie. I was happy. <laughs> Takes it off your hands. Yeah, I was like, you know, you're going wicked. I've got that. Like, there's, no, there's no way you're coming back to me now. Get out of jail free. Get out of jail free. Next day I've gone around the studio. He's taken my get my ex to the studio with him. And then I'm like, I'm looking at them. And they started fighting in the studio. Oh. In front of all the artists and everything. I was like, oh, this is crazy. What were they fighting about? Just anything, because he's mad. Right. And she's not that either. <clears throat> Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, literally. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like going out with him and his posse of women on a night out in Jamaica? Was it, was it a bit bizarre? It was crazy. It was crazy because he ended up having them like his, his posse, literally. Like they come and, um, he, if he sits here, one sits on this lap, one sits on this lap. No, they have to sit on his lap. Anyway, he goes. Now, if you're sitting there, he's sitting on the lap. There's two girls sitting on his lap. Why? You have to ask him that. <laughs> Do they rotate? Or has he got like the main girl, the main girls go on his lap? There was, there was, the four turned into three, so he kept three of them. The five turned into, because he ended up flying three of them back to England. He threw three back to England, literally. Literally. What did they all sleep in? God knows. God knows, I don't know how it was. He ended up him getting one of them pregnant and everything. Shut up. Yeah. And then he ended up, Tying them up or something. Tying them up? Yeah, I think he went crazy and tied them up. Was he on drugs? No. Just yeah. cuckoo, a bit cuckoo. Mm. So how long were they in England before it started to go bad? A couple of years. A couple of years. I remember he, he come to see me in England after he come back. And I couldn't believe it, because when he comes to see me in England, he come around my house with the girls. <laughs> Still, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I'm looking at him like, you fucking for real. He come and sat down in the kitchen. And one sat here, one sat here. <laughs> in my fucking kitchen, I'm looking at him. I'm like, they know me. Because I got a You see? You girls got it made now, ain't ya? Like, they're, they're probably still over here since. Like, You reckon? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so, because they didn't have much over there, so they would have probably preferred to be over here. So how much did you hang out with him in those years? Oh, like, it, it turned into, like, I, I, the vibes wasn't that good with me and him. Obviously, I just, I had to keep my distance from him, and it was a bit of a weird situation, because I was kind of trying to look out for him, and then, I, and then it comes to a point where I, I'm going to end up killing you out here, mate. 
Like, it literally got to that because he was, he started testing my patience, me as a person as well, because there's a lot of disrespectful things. I didn't even mind him fucking mics. I was happy about that. But then it's like, he's mad and he talks a lot and he tries to talk a lot of shit. And it was like, but I was trying to look past it because I know his head ain't good. But it's people over there that won't tolerate that for me. You understand what I'm saying? So he was, he was treading on thin ice with me at one point. I just had to keep myself away from him. At, to be honest with you, till he, till he fucked off back to England. You know what I mean? Because he, he ended up, I said, I didn't want to be a part of what was going on. You know what I mean? I, was, I wasn't even interested no more. So I just, I took myself away from it because the whole situation with, it, I mean, they're mad. I don't want to get in no mad situation with them now. I mean, my, I mean my, that, my ex was crazy as well. She was like, she wouldn't, I was living in a, in a house with Sean Paul's father. When I come out of prison. Sean Paul? Sean Paul's father, Garth Enriquez. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I was locked up with Sean Paul's father. Oh, really? Yeah, remember? Part you, one. Yeah, part one. You've watched watch it. So, um, Sean Paul's father was the reason why I even met. He took me around to the studios. He introduced me to a lot of the people in Jamaica who I ended up becoming friends with. And yeah. he was like a father figure to me out there. And he was like managing me, basically, when I come out of prison. So he was taking me everywhere. He, the, he, he took me, the first time I even went on stage is he took me into the club and put me up on stage and got me to go on the mic and took me round to the studio, introduced me to the studio, introduced me to Sean, everybody. That he was a very, very vital part of me meeting people over there. So um, I was staying at a place in Kingston that was charging me a bit too much for rent. So he was like, oh, my mate's got a six bedroom house up on the hills. All you, yeah, oh, seven bedroom actually. Sorry, seven bedroom house up on the hills. All you got to do, all we got to do is put food in the fridge. Wow. Great deal. Like, sounds like a, it's got a fucking gym there, everything. Wow. All we got to do is put food in the fridge. I'm like, are you serious? It's like, yeah, wicked. So I just come out of the place I was staying and went up there to move. My ex wasn't leaving me alone at the time. She's still coming up there. She come up there as well. I'm trying to get her to go back to her family's house and go back to England. She don't want to listen. And it's very toxic between us at the time. Anyway, it's before I even met Mr. Lex and the artist. This is like early, early out, before even he come over. And um, just before, yeah, just before Heavy D come over. So we're all staying in the seven bedroom apartment and there's a woman staying in the house as well. And she, she, with her, he rents out a part of the house. Right. It's such a big place. He's got a part of the house with another, like a separate studio flat, like a one bedroom, but he rents out to a woman and her child. And she sort of, she's like the cleaner for the place as well at the time. So she was looking after the property as well. So it was, an event was coming up on the beach called Fully Loaded. And I knew a few artists that was going to be there. And, that I wanted to go and see, and I wanted to go and mix with some of the industry, you know? So I was saying to her, oh, I'm gonna go fully loaded tonight. So she was saying, yeah, okay, cool. You can come, I'll come with you. I said, okay. So all, all night she's planning to come with me. By the night time comes now. I said, you ready? She says, oh, I don't wanna go no more. I was like, well, you, you said you're ready. You, no, I don't wanna go, I don't wanna go. Take out here with you. I'm like, oh, this girl's doing my nothing. It was already like, you're just, yes, no, yes, no. So she says, take the other, the girl in the house with you. I said, oh, I said, you want to come? Come. So she comes with me. We go to the event. It was, a, it was a shooting at the event. And I ended up, and there was all gunshots firing near us. And I ended up, I, the girl I was with, I ended up like 
standing in front of her when gunshots were firing, sort of thing. And she, she never forget me for that, because she was like, oh, you could have got shot. And I was like, well, I'm not going to let you get shot, sort of thing. So I was like, anyway, we didn't, none of us got here. And we're on the way back in the cab, and she starts trying it on me in the cab on the way back. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm fed up with the ex. I'm like, I don't even mind a bit of this now. But, you know, we're getting back now. I said, no, she's at the house waiting for me. We can't do this. So I sort of brush her off in the car. When I get back to the house now, I owe the, I owe the cab 1,500 Jamaican dollars for the cab drive. And I've got to go. I've got money in the, in the flat. I've spent the money I had in my, on me. So I left some money up in, the, in my room. So I said, wait here, cabbies. My regular cab drive. I'm going to get the money. Gone in the room. She's gone. It's four in the morning. She's gone. Where are you gone? We're four miles up a fucking hill. <laughs> we're not like, you know, we're four miles up a hill in a seven-bedroom mansion. Where the fuck are you gone? Four in the morning. I've gone in the fucking my pockets, look for my money. My money's gone! Oh. I had 4,000 Jamaican dollars left, which was about 40 quid at the time. And I've got to spend 1,500 out of it for the cab. My money's gone, you're gone. I've had to wake up the owner of the fucking house to borrow money off of him for the cab. Got the money off of him. For the cab, gone paid the cabbie. I've come into the fucking play, back into the house now, fed up, pissed off. Remember, Alti was trying it on me in the car. I say, Alti, you know what? I'll have a bit of that now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up in Alti's side of the floor. I ended up in Alti's room now. And me and Alti are just about to get on. And I was wearing some white shoes. That's why white shoes are very unlucky. I was wearing some white, white shoes. And me and Alta are just about to get on, like literally just about to get on. And the door goes bang! Taga! Taga! So she's like shitting herself now, Alta, because she's actually scared of her. Because then you can see she's a psycho, you should be. She's crazy. So it's like she's all scared in the room, she's shitting herself. She's looking around, there's a big fucking house. So she's looking around, all house shouting. It's like something's like telling her I'm there, like her part of the house is near the kitchen. She comes around, she sees my fucking shoes outside her door. She says, I know you're in there! I know you're in there, Taga! The girl's shitting herself down. She's putting the fucking, she's got the, she's, like, she's in the corner like that. She's literally thinks she's gonna die. I've had to come out and face the music. I've come out, she's got a fucking kitchen, the biggest kitchen knife you could ever imagine Ooh. in her hand. As I come out, she's like this, she's like, this is horror movie. Wow. This is horror movie status. Steven Spielberg, <laughs> ER. She's outside with her eyes red. <laughs> Trailer timestamp, James. <laughs> Big knife in hand. I'm gonna kill you, Tiger. And then literally, literally having a fucking. She's having a standoff me. And I should deny. She's like, I'm going to kill you. And it's a big kitchen. You know where you've got the sinks in the middle and it's like a little breakfast table, one of them big sort of American style kitchens because it's a big fucking ass. She's sort of nearly chasing me around the fucking thing with the knife. I'm thinking, I've got to have it. Like, it could have gone either way. I sort of jumped. I had to grab her and manage to get the knife out of her hand. And she's there fighting. And the fight started from four o'clock in the morning. And we're fighting and we're fighting. Not fighting like that. I'm just restraining her from killing me. So I never hit her once. I don't hit women. I never have. So I, 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 I'm just restraining her from killing me. You know what I'm saying? Basically. And the fight's going on and on and on. And the next morning and she wakes up and she smashes the cars outside and she tries to commit suicide from the balcony. And 
Oh, mate. And I'm still restrained. It's about five hours of trying to cool her down. Sean Paul's father's woken up now. Everyone else is there. She punches Sean Paul's father in the face. No. For trying to cool her down. Punches the owner of the house in the face. Gets the biggest rock, throws it through Sean Paul's father's car. Gets the biggest rock, throws it through the owner of the house car. Uh, this, is, this is like five hours later. She's still warring. I'm restraining her on the floor. I'm tired now. Good thing we're five miles up a hill because we've all gone jail. Everybody. Everyone's gone prison. If this was in the, down in the flat, because police would have come a long time ago. It was way too much madness going on in this place. But because we're four miles up a hill, no one can hear us. And we're in a, we're in a mansion in the middle of nowhere. It's going nuts. Going fucking <laughs> So I was like, oh, mate. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So like that was the end, that was the end of that. She, that just went on and on and on and then that's and then she ended up going with Heavy D. Before that, how did you get out of the house on that day? How did you stop stop her? She was throwing boulders through cars. Yeah. How did it how did it stop? <clears throat> Alright, this is from four thirty in the morning <laughs> till about eleven thirty the next morning. And we're still going on. And we kind of, after all of that, the cars got smashed and the punches in the faces and trying to commit suicide out the balcony and all of that calmed down. We ended up in the living room upstairs having a mediation. <laughs> See the, the, the details he leaves out. Yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this, is a, this is an important part as well. We're having an mediation. We've... Her in one corner, the girl, the girl that I nearly cheated on with in that corner, Sean Paul's father, guy called Brian Phillips, the owner of the house. R.I.P. to both of them, Brian and Garth both passed away now. Brian and Garth in, in the living room and her son running round playing with his little car. So they're, they're shouting, oh, we fucking hell, we're trying to, we're keeping them apart. We're keeping them apart, but we're trying to mediate because we all sort of know each other. You know, so obviously we live in the same fucking house. You know what I'm saying? So we're trying to mediate, trying to calm it down. Look, fighting's over. Look, calm it down, calm it down. While they're arguing, her son must have played a little bit too close. About four or five years old, six years old. Her son must have been playing a little bit too close to her while they was arguing and she fucking grabbed the son by the throat and we had to fucking grab her off of it. It was disgusting. It was disgusting. I was like, I was like, nah, you've gone too far now. You get me? Yeah. Yeah, that's why I, I itched to go into that part. But, I, but here we are. We're here. So I tell you, but that's why I didn't go into it straight away. But that's what happened. To be honest, and that's where it went too far then. And we like to grab her off of him. And then like, Sean's to right, this has gone too far now. Yeah, you've got problems, mate. You get what I'm saying? Gone way too far there. Mm. Feel me? Way too far. Way, way too far. So that's how that, situation kind of ended. Did she have to get institutionalised or anything? I hope so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what happened to her, to be honest mm. with you. I don't know. Um, after that, now, that's when the, the fuckery started and then Heavy D comes on the scene and then she ends up kicking it off with Heavy D, which is a, a result. You know what I'm saying? Because there was a, probably a match made in heaven. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
But it was like a lot of situations with like, she, she could have sent me back to prison a numerous amount of times. Mm. Numerous amount of times. One time I was driving, driving her in the car, she tried to jump out the car and me to commit suicide in the car, but did it by a bus stop full of people to make it look like I pushed her out the car. And it looks like the white guys trying to kill the back going to the train. It looks crazy. Yeah. And like it was a, and, and the whole like 20 people at the bus stop looking at me like I pushed this girl out the car. And she's jumped out the car. And I'm trying to get her back in. <laughs> so shit like that was like happening a bit too regular. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a liability. It can turn really, really bad. Because you don't have children, do you? No. No. No, no, because you don't need that stress no of her so she so all right heavy d comes and yeah. then heavy d moves back to london with his posse of women yeah heavy d moves back to his yeah he does he does he comes back to london he does about two months in jamaica he's got fascination heavy d done about 20 30 thousand pounds in about four weeks he spent so much money he might have done fifty thousand pounds he stayed there for jamaica about six weeks and then come back to london with the girls yeah and life was okay in the beginning for him in London? Yeah. What do you mean by that? I mean, did you like visit him and he was doing all right before things went apeshit? Me and him wasn't close like that. Oh, okay. Me and him wasn't close like that. I knew him through a mutual friend. I knew him through someone I was close to. And he, was, he used to work with him. So that's why I knew him and we do business from time to time and he, we had mutual respect for each other, but we wasn't buddies or anything like that. We were just knew each other. You understand what I'm saying? Right. So, but obviously we, we became closer even, even, even in, in my, even after what happened in Jamaica with us, I still talk to him when we come back to England. Do you understand what I'm saying? Cause I could see this guy is just, you know, he didn't even mean to be that. He's just like that. You understand what I'm saying? He wasn't a bad guy at all. All right, people, God bless the dead. Do you understand what I'm saying? He wasn't a bad guy at all. You know what I mean? We just had a crazy time together. I thought I'd share the stories because it's, yeah. it's, really, it's really crazy. It's really crazy stories. But he wasn't a bad guy. And did he say that he killed himself in the end? Yeah, he ended up hanging himself. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, he hanged himself in Brixton prison. How long ago? About 10 years ago, I think. In Brixton? Mm. Was that a suspicious hanging or do you think he got depressed? It was for, I think it was, um, I think he got depressed. He had mental health issues. Yeah. Yeah, and he was in an argument with his family as well. He was in some, I think he was in some back and forth of his family. Yeah. Personal stuff on his family side, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he had mental health issues, obviously. I don't think he should have been locked up. He should have put him somewhere else. It's, you know, they, but obviously he wasn't, maybe he wasn't diagnosed for what he had, yeah. you know? So maybe that's why he, he shouldn't have been in a jail. In a, they shouldn't have someone like that in prison. So you said the Jamaican, Jamaican time after prison was, was crazier, harder, because yeah. of these characters then. So you sh all right, so you shake off the woman, you shake off Heavy D. Yeah. What, what else happens in Jamaica? <laughs> oh, crazy this stuff is in Jamaica. So I remember, like, it come to a time, it's very dangerous as well. I remember once, I think, they come to rob me once outside the studio. And I escaped by the skin of my teeth. So because I'm, run I'm running around, I've got jewellery on, I'm going around Jamaica every day, it gets around this... The foreigner, the white guy, got a bit of money. So you're a target for rubber guys and shit like that. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm outside Stone Love Studio one day. And uh, luckily, we got Mr. Lex, because he, he just leaves and he goes to wash his car. And he phones me up and says, oh, Tugger, can you bring me a spliff, please? And 
it's a good thing you asked for the spliff because the minute I get in my car to drive off, the robber man pull up for me and they end up robbing everyone else there. But I escaped by the skin of my teeth. And I'm talking about they robbed everybody. Like they took everyone's chain, jewellery, phones, every penny in their pocket, everything, everything. But they actually came for me. But they, uh, I just escaped by the skin of my teeth. And a few, and another time, I nearly got set up in a, um, in a, in a, in a go-go club, similar to like a go-go club. Yeah, it was like a one little ghetto go-go club in there smoking weed and, you know, but the good thing I had a friend with me and we was well protected. So it's, it's like things like that. How did you know there was a setup in play? Well, we knew straight away because we were in there and we're talking to the girl and the two guys came in and they came in to rob us, but he, he could see I'm with someone with a firearm, so he wasn't going to try it. You understand what I'm saying? So if I was there by myself, or if we, if we could see that we was, um, what's it called, slipping, so to speak, and then it would have been done. Yeah, but it's but you think twice when you got someone with a gun with you. So did that those attempts make you want to keep someone with a gun with you at all times? Yeah, if, although I I kept a gun with me a lot of the times, but I didn't like carrying it because I don't want to be going back to prison. Oh, because it's illegal to carry? Yeah, I can't, it's illegal to carry a gun, yeah. Yeah, you have to, and it's, so it's all, you can get licensed, but I'm not going to get, I'm, I, I'm not entitled to a license over there, am I? I've got a lot of friends over there with firearm licenses, but most of the people you're with, they're not, there's no license involved, you know? I mean, even myself, I'd have to hide a little tutu, I had a little tutu, a, a little fiberglass tutu. Oh, I thought you meant Juice juice, Sorry. yeah. Today. Which I can hide because it's very easy to hide, right? You know, too, too. I put in the, put in the pants anywhere. Because where I lived, I ended up renting an apartment five minutes away from the seven, seven bedroom mansion up on the hill. So it was a um, bit, when you go, it's very dark up there. You can get robbed up there. So I just to even just walk from the car to the door, you feel like you need something out there. You can't stop in the traffic lights in Kingston. When the traffic lights are red, you can't stop nighttime at traffic lights. You can get robbed. So you can't stop at the traffic lights. You just got to keep going. You know how many times I crashed my car? How many? I ripped off about four cars out there. Like, loads of accidents because of going through red lights. Because you can't stop on the red lights. Like so I've gone straight head on into, into fucking cab drivers with passengers in and terrible accidents I've had out there. Welcome back to part B of this podcast. Yay! <laughs> Cheers. 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 Cheers, everybody. No sponsored ads here, just no product placement. No product placement. Good Jamaican beer. Mm -hmm. So, beer Tugger, yes. should we start part two? Yes. New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, one of the <laughs> maddest New Year's Eves I've had down Tivoli Gardens with Mr. Christopher Koch. It was mad because I just did the show. I became um, popular in areas of artist. So I did the show, the build-up to my Sting performance was my first time going to Tivoli, was doing a show, my first time ever down there. We went down there to do an event um, on the run-up to Sting, which Leng got me the run-up on the show. So I went down to Tivoli, it's a really hardcore place, really hardcore place. I remember walking through the crowd, 
the first time I went down there, we were walking through the crowd and I had the chain on like this and I felt someone grabbing my chain. So I'm walking and it's like, you know, it's grabbing my chain. So I'm, someone's pulling me back by the chain. I look and it's like an old woman and she's like 70 years old. <laughs> I swear. Like, you know, you, you, anyone will try this. <laughs> I had to like, the fuck off with me, like... I was like, right. Like, everyone will try and rub me down there. But no, it's under order down there. Christopher Colt's got it. He had it under order down there. Like, it was very under order. But it, at the same time, very hostile. And can be very intimidating as well. So when it comes to New Year's Eve now, I went down there for New Year's Eve celebrations. So I went down there with a few artists and Christopher Colt does his New Year's Eve party down there. And like, like what people know at the time, police ain't allowed nowhere near the area. Nowhere near. It's like a no-go zone for police. They stay nowhere near. I think like within three miles of there, they ain't going to be nowhere near it. And New Year's Eve is like the most gunshots I ever heard in my life. <laughs> ever. Ever. Ridiculous. I've never seen so many guns in one place. Ever. It's like a big party. It's like a parade of guns. Gunshots the whole night. It's like fireworks. It's like Guy Fawkes night. But with guns. But with guns. Literally, from like, so like they do it. It's outdoor. It's the events kept in like the football field in Tivoli or like out in the the estate basically, and you got like people firing cannons over there. People firing M16s over there. People firing that over there. Like everyone's walking around the gun play. If you haven't got a gun, you feel underdressed. <laughs> But believe it or not, it's under order. No one ain't firing no loose shots. No one ain't trying to kill nobody. Everyone's just having a good time and just letting off salute shots off on New Year's Eve. But that's when I realised how many guns are in Tivoli. <laughs> Fucking hell. But like, that's how and, I, and that's when I realised how powerful Christopher Coke was. Because I, I've been to a lot of garrisons in Jamaica and most of them are quite loose like you've always got a, one done here or done there who controls that little area or that area but this guy controlled like it's like it was like an army of people like the whole area was under his supervision you know like and no and it was very as, as much as like you could literally go down there even though I told you the story about the woman grabbing the chain, that's just like a one-off. She was drunk or whatever, you know? Like, you could literally go down there and leave the keys in your car and your phone and the thing. No one ain't going to touch nothing. Because he's that under order. Because, you, because if any, you're going to have to answer to Coke. You'll have to answer to Dudas. If something goes wrong. So no one is going to pull no funny moves like that. No one ain't going to feel... So, the, so the, even the tourists felt very welcome to come down. So as, as hostile as it might sound like that, is very welcoming. Like the tour, you see loads of tourists there enjoying themselves, and they feel very safe there. I'll be honest with you. At the time, like they would keep regular events in Tivoli at the time, and I never see no trouble. For the, never, no trouble. I mean, you could leave your car windows open and your phones on the seat. No one ain't touching nothing because of how he's got the area under manners. And I never seen so many firearms in one place. Even when I left the area at six o'clock in the morning, I, you can hear the gunshot foot. Like, you're, I'm, ten minutes I left, I can still hear them firing. It's like a war. It's like in World War Three or something down there. It's ridiculous. I never seen it. So, like, when they extradited him, 
Because I know the, the, a little bit of the ins and outs of the area and like to do with the, the shower posse, obviously. And it's crazy. It's crazy. I was surprised they even got in there to do what they did because of the amount. They got bigger, they got bigger guns than the army in there. <laughs> yeah. I heard them letting off cannons around there. Like every type of machine you could think of is around there. It was ridiculous. And it was just amazing that it was all under order. That, that's what amazed me how the order was kept. It was, it blew me away. I was like, how, everyone's on, like, they're walking and marching around, letting off shot everybody. But no one's hostile with it. Everyone's under order. And, and, and I, I don't even think, no one's even allowed a gun if they're, if they're an idiot. So if this one's gonna do something stupid with a gun, he wouldn't be allowed it in the first place. How they, how they find out who's good and who's not, I don't know. But that's how it is, and that's how it was. What was the actual New Year's Eve celebration other than shooting guns? <laughs> this is what I was beginning to think because like, I went like, my ears was blown like... Is there music? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's a big sound system, big yeah. party. I mean, the celebration, we're, we're letting we're off... Dancing. We let off shots. Daggering. Daggering. Like, javelin. I made a, like, <laughs> letting off shots in Jamaica is a regular thing. When a song comes on you like, you yeah. let off a shot. Oh, right. Yeah, so that's the song. So the salute is a gun salute for is New Year's Eve. Is it an outdoor thing? Or yeah. Is the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's outdoor. It's outdoor. So, like, you, you, so you salute a song you like. You let off a, a gunshot for a song you like. And a, a lot of it's for that. Oh, you're playing someone's favourite song. Bang, bang, bang. It's a, it's a way to salute and a song. And where is this held? On the beach? Or... No, it's in, it's in the um, Tivoli Gardens in the main... This happens in every event, though, right. in Jamaica. Gun salutes is a regular thing. But in Tivoli, on, on, I've never seen, but you never seen nothing like it on New Year's Eve in Tivoli Gardens. It must be like, you'd have to, you'd have to go to Afghanistan to get anything close. <laughs> I'm telling you. No, seriously, you'd have to go somewhere like that to get anything close to it. It's crazy. It was. It's not like that no more, obviously, because they've extradited Christopher Coke and it's not like that around there no more. But like, It's Christopher Coke bloke then. Tell yeah. me a little bit more about him. Well, I only met him on a f I only met him about three times. Right. Yeah, he, he's a he's a one of one of the biggest mafias in Jamaica, big drug kingpin for years. Obviously. Was that show up, Yeah. Yeah. Was he the leader of it or like? Yes, he was the leader, and he took over from his father. So he got to, he actually got he inherited the leadership from his father, Jim Brown. I don't know if you heard of Jim Brown, and Jim Brown actually burnt to death in his in a cell in Jamaica. So he was there, he was in prison and he burnt to death in a in a prison cell. Who, who did that to him? They say it was set up by the government. government. That's the rumor. That's the rumor. I don't know for sure up to today. There's different stories about it, but it was a setup. Obviously, they burnt him to death in the. He was a very he was just as powerful as as Coke is obviously at the time, you know. But they had him in GP General Penitentiary and he, they burnt him to death in the cell. They say the Warders did it. It would have to have been, it was like, some people say he did it himself. No, he didn't. He, they Waters did it. Probably burnt him to death in there. So he inherited the, the leadership from his father. And then, you know, so he, but like, he's very close to the music side of things. Hence the reason why I even became in, in contact with him. Because he's friends with all the artists. So all the artists know him. So all my artist friends know him. And he keeps a lot of events. And he's a very... Um, <coughs> we, we used to call him Prezi. That's what we call him, President. We call him the President. So we used to call him Prezi for short. 
So I was like, oh, Prezi, I keep a dance tonight. So he was like, literally that. All the artists kind of look up to him. You know, we used to look up to him. Because he, he'd look out, he'd actually look out for the music industry. He'd, so like, um, we was more, as artists, we was more interested in that side of it. You know, because like he'd put on a lot of events and he'd always support the artists and support the music industry as well. So, you know, I wasn't, what, his illegal activities was not like, wasn't, we all knew he did what he did, but that wasn't. That wasn't what we was around him for. You know, he was keep parties and stuff like that. And like what I said, I always looked out for the artists as well. So it was like that really. So when you were in his presence, was he like a commanding person? Was he soft spoken? No, no, what really was, cool what was guy. He like? Just a normal guy. Really cool guy. He wouldn't even think that's him. He wouldn't even think that's him. When you see him, just no, very simple, very kind of humble as well. He's, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't around him for that long, but you wouldn't even realise that's they had surrounding He's surrounded by a lot of security, obviously. You know, he's got a lot of protection around him. And it's just, a, I don't know if you ever seen a picture of him. No. Oh, you haven't? Okay. No. Like, just a normal guy, really cool guy. Really cool guy. Yeah, well, I mean, cool as an everyday guy. I mean, you know the story about him, but I ain't. Christopher Coke, shower posse. It's come up cool, Christopher Cool there. <sighs> Just looks like your average middle-aged... Somebody's seen your Google history. <laughs> right. Also known as Duddus. Yes, that's, the, yeah, that's why I refer to him as Duddus. That's what we call him, like Christopher Cox's Prezi. real name. We call him Prezi or Duddus. Yeah, Duddus was his, his nickname. So what happens to him then? He's in America, is he now? Yeah, they got extradited. Got extradited. Yeah. How did they snatch him? Well, they... they in 2010, they um, send the whole army into Tivoli. That's mm, in the whole army in there. It was a massive shootout. So many people lost their lives. Massive shootout for like days. There was a, it was a national emergency in Jamaica. Oh, Jamaica got locked down. Right. Yeah. He ended up disguising himself as a woman driving around with a priest. So he, he was, yeah, me and the priest today, eh? So he was, he was driving around as a, disguised as a woman. Wow. People, they thought he left the country. You know, he actually made it out of Tivoli and he was, he was hiding with one of the most famous priests in Jamaica, disguised as a woman. Wow. So he's always going through the roadblocks with the priests. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, it, it was a national emergency in Jamaica. It was crazy, yeah. But they, they caught him, they caught him eventually. So he only got 23 years. He's going to get out. Got, yeah. yeah. Wow. When's he due out? Wow. He'll be due out. Only if that was back, what, 10 years ago and the feds, you do 85%. Wow. He's only got 10 left. Is that all he's got left? Probably, if that was 10 years ago. Unless they've piled more charges well, on This him. is what I was going to say. Yeah. That might have been the initial one. Sounds low, doesn't it, for the feds? It does. International. It does. For him, it does. For that, I'd, I'd say that was probably the initial, and they probably got yeah. pending whatever. Because yeah. I, I haven't heard he's out soon or anything. So did someone else take over from his family? Now? I don't think so. Mm. It's sort of they, that, that setup is finished now, yeah. as far as I know. I mean, obviously, I, mean, I don't know, the whole pussy is probably going on in its own little way, but like that Tivoli Gardens is not what it used to be no more. Yeah. So it's, there's, there, like where police weren't allowed there, no police are down there now and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's under control. And I suppose as a country, it needed to get like that, you know, because it, was, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't right to have a country running like that where you got area like that, I suppose. So Jamaica had to clean it up, didn't they? 
So it was always going to happen, I suppose. But I, I, we, I don't think everyone was expecting it to happen like that because like, he's, he's more powerful than anyone in the country at the time. You yeah. think even like untouchable from police, like what I said, yeah. until this. But obviously when you got problems from America and America start putting the pressure on Jamaica, just like the Pablo thing, it's similar to Pablo. Yeah, I was thinking that when you were telling me. It's that. the same kind of thing. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. I mean, they, look, if it weren't for America, Jamaica's going to shut their mouth with this guy like they have for so many years. You understand what I'm saying? For so many years, he'd be like, what I say when I'm there, you can't go anywhere near him. The police leave him alone. Stud us, leave him. You know what I'm saying? But when America start piling the pressure now because of the crimes associated to the gang over there, that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah. Exactly. But bloody the firing shots in the in the event for the for the for the for the songs is something that I nearly got in trouble with once. Really? Yeah, because I obviously right, you're in Jamaica. So the trend is to just like just like if I took you out in Jamaica and you see guys firing shots, saluting songs. So it's an in thing, even me myself, I'll be performing and people will come up to me up to today and say, Oh, I, I left my whole magazine for you that night. Like, I've, guys who come up to me and say they've let off their whole magazine for my song or the, the lyrics I chatted that night. And that's a compliment. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a big compliment. So, like, <laughs> we went into one event one time in Cockburn, Penn. Me, Mr. Lex, and a few other artists. And, and, and what they do with artists is, like, every area, every ghetto you go to, they want to show you their firearms. They want to show you what they got. So as you go there now, they, as soon as we got in the party, they start giving us all guns. So this is for you, that's for you, that's for you, that's for you. So they gave me something, they gave him something, they gave him like some big old rifle. One of them's got like some Tommy West. I haven't even had a drink yet. Come to party. <laughs> Interesting party pack. Come to party. <laughs> I was, we just come to party and they just loaded us. What is this, a battlefield? Like, I, but I, I know what it is. I know like they, they just want to show off and show, it's a little ghetto thing of, Look after the artists, give them a little tool, make them feel at home if they want to bust a shot, showing off things, stupid shit. Anyway, someday I'll say, all right. So everyone's got a gun, they'll see all the artists looking at it, it's all right. Let me see how it works, thing. Bang, I let one off. And they say, oh, you weren't in the fire, so what you give it to me for? Because <laughs> as soon as I let it off, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Lex is next to me and he's going, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, but he's ready to do it. I thought, could I see the guy next to him? I thought he was ready to test it out. So I'm there. It was a 45. I was like, bang! <laughs> next minute, police come in the fucking place. I'm like, hey, take this away. Get it away. And then they take all the guns away from us and jump over the wall. And I said, that was fucking pointless. <laughs> I swear, and I'm like, what the fuck going on here? And then we're five minutes. It's like, we're like 10 minutes in the fucking event. So it's like, so it's times to do it and times not to do it. Definitely. It's times to do it and times not to do it. I thought I was in Tivoli. It was all right until that happened. So you had immigration problems yeah. getting your passport back. Oh, I'll tell you the story about this dodgy police. I want to tell you something about this guy. So when I got released from prison now, I got, ex I got received by a policeman who was the brother of someone who I know in England. And because I needed the Jamaican citizen of status to accept me so I could stay in England, because remember, I'm going to be deported from my prison sentence. So my, bro my brother's friend is a top policeman in Clarendon at the time, 
parish in Jamaica. And his mum come to visit me when I was in prison. And they said, oh, I'll get my brother to receive you so you ain't got to go back to England. So I remember Sean Paul's father arranged for the immigration for me to stay over here, but I still need a Jamaican citizen of status. So either a policeman, a doctor, solicitor, someone with yeah. status like that, you know, professional. So he says, my brother would do it. Fine. So he comes to the airport. I see him. He comes to the airport. To, he's the one that comes to the airport to receive me from the immigration. Immigration kept my passport, though, so I didn't get my passport back. So I've left the fucking... Yeah, so I've, I'm actually no passport illegal alien in Jamaica for a bit. Excuse me. <laughs> so I think I'm safe. I'm with my... My brother's friend, he's a policeman. He's cool, he took... So my first night out of prison, it's my first night out of Spanish Town prison, he takes me to his house. He lived near Spanish Town, a place called Greendale, which is more or less in Spanish Town. He takes me back to his house. His missus made some lovely food for me, so some had a lovely meal and all of that. And then he takes me for a haircut. I said, I want to get a haircut. So he takes me to the barber. I said, oh, he's a policeman. I said, I want to buy a draw of weed. He says, you can't smoke weed in the car. And then he says, listen, he says, you want to get some, you want to get some money from the, he says, do you want to get some money? And I see him like talking about money all the time. I said, this guy's talking like he's trying to get money. You want to be my brother's friend. I thought he's cool because he's my brother's friend. And I start realizing, he says, I had to go to the Western Union. And he had a briefcase. With a, with a, he used to keep his gun. He's like, he's like a plainclothes police officer. He's a high-ranked police officer. And he's gun crazy. He's gun mad. So he's driving me, he says, Tugger, gun is power. And I got an AK-47, I got AR-4. When he was at the house, he was telling me about all of the guns he owns. So when I'm going into the Western Union, he says, take this with you. So he, he gives me a gun to go into the Western Union. I said, you trying to just come out of fucking prison? <laughs> And the policeman wants me to go, why do I want to take a gun into the Western Union? Why? I'm going to get money. What the fuck? You're a policeman. I feel like he's trying to set me up. The geezer asked me to carry the gun into the Western Union. He said, take that with you, he says. I'm like, what for? He says, no, but then he's like... I'm just, this is the first day I met him, you know. It's like the second day I've just known the guy. I, don't, I think he's cool. He's my, I know he's my friend's brother. I'm like, all right. So I go and get the money. I come back, I give him the gun. And I'm like, what was that for? It was just weird. I was like, that's fucking weird. I wasn't worried about getting nicked because I've got a policeman's gun on me. You're a policeman. Your gun's legal. You know, I don't know about the other fucking big ones you're talking about back at the ass, but this one you give me must be legal. And you want me to take it in the Western. It's like a policeman telling you, take that with you when you go and get your money. I couldn't work it out. Anyway, come back in the house now. He says, yeah, I'm going to take you to my mum's house. So I'll stay at his mum's house for the first week. Waiting because my, my ex was still locked up. And she was getting released a week after me. So I'm at his mum's house and she, she's looking after me. And I said, look, I need my passport back. Can you contact the immigration? Because he said he's got the contact for the immigration. I need my passport. Immigration man was called Mr. Brown. He said, Mr. Brown's got my passport. Please contact him. So he comes to me the following night and he says to me, Yeah, I've contacted Mr. Brown. He wants 30,000 Jamaican dollars. I was like, That's a lot of fucking money. It's like 300 quid. I said, I said, All right, fuck it, whatever. So I got the 30,000, gave it to him. Comes back to me, he says, With no passport, he says, He wants another 150,000. 
I'm looking at him like, are you taking me for a cunt? And I feel, no, this guy is extorting me. This guy, this policeman is extorting me. Now, his mum's really cool because his mum's from England and his mum was really looking after me in his house. And I like his brother. And I'm, and I'm I don't want to, like, but your, your other son, the policeman, he's trying to extort me now. Anyway, he phones me up. He said, I don't want you smoking weed in the area. You're under my surveillance. Like, I felt like a prisoner. I'm still, I'm come out, I'm out of jail, but I'm under, I can't do anything. He's telling me, you can't smoke weed. You can't do this. I said, what the fuck is it like? He tried to keep me like a prisoner to himself and give him money and all of this. But I was like, what the fuck are you trying to do? I'm like, get the fuck out of here. So I must have fucked off from his mum's ass. I went to downtown Kingston to buy a week because I'm fed up of being in his area near his mouth. I'm fed up of it, like, fuck you. I just come out of fucking jail. I don't need all this fucking shit. You get me? But he's the reason I'm allowed to stay in the country. So I've got to play it cool with him because he's threatening me. He says, look, if you fuck up, I'm going to take you back to jail. My name's on the line. He says, I'm, you're out because of me. He's telling me. You're only allowed to stay over here because of me. If you get caught, I get in trouble. He's pulling that card on me. Like he owns me. I don't like that shit. I ain't like that shit. And then when he come and ask for that, when I gave him the 300 pound and he come back with no passport and asked for another 150 pound, I'm looking at him like, now you're taking me for a cunt. You understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Anyway, so I end up fucking off from his mum's and I'm downtown. And he phones me up. He says, where are you? He says, I'm downtown Kingston. Bible. He says, you're what? I said, fuck off. I just put the phone down on him. I told him to go fuck himself. So I go back to Spanish town. My ex comes out. I'm in Spanish town. He comes up because he knows the house in Spanish town. He knows the house because I must have took him there one time to get something. He pulls up outside the fucking house and to threaten to take me back and puts and, to, and fucking my, my ex is arguing with him outside. Pulls out a gun on my ex just to fuck off takes me and basically, he's ain't police, it's dodgy police work. He's taking me by force with the gun. Come, he's taking the gun. I said, come, you come, get in the car, get in the car. My, like, my ex and her sister's trying to fight him off and whatever, and she, he's just threatening me. That's it, he's got the gun. They have to shut up. And he looks, and, and they can see he's one of them naughty police. He'll pop you. He don't give a fuck. Skeezer's crazy. So he's there waving the gun. Geezer fucking took me back to the, he said, I'm taking you to jail. From Spanish town, took me by force now with the gun into his car, back to his mum's house. Tell him he's going to take me to jail. He don't want to take me to jail, he just wants to get money out of me. You get me? Get to the mum. The mum's on my side. The mum kind of see what's going on. The mum's actually a really nice woman. And the mum was like, they was having a realty. See, I'm, my name's Tug of War. They was having a Tug of War in the garden. <laughs> She's literally holding me by one arm and he's holding me with the other arm and saying, I'm taking him to jail. No, don't take him to jail. I'm taking him back to jail. I'm not, I swear they're splitting me apart in the garden. He's dragging me off by force with the gun. And his, and his mum is trying to stop him. And I'm in the middle like that. I'm like, fuck's sake. And he's trying to extort me. I'm fed up. I said, I ain't listening to this cunt. Fuck that shit. So I end up, I end up leaving. He ends up having to go to, 
he has to have to go to Miami or somewhere else. So he ends up going away for three weeks. I was like, wicked, you're gone for a few weeks. Fuck it. But I'm still running around with no passport. I'm 400, nearly 400 pound down from trying to get a passport back. You know what I mean? Running around with no passport still. And, and my ex comes out now. <clears throat> and then a couple, two weeks later, I hear the most ironic thing. You see this bully police guy? Get a call from his mum about three weeks later. He's in a wheelchair. He had a big car accident. He ended up fucking in a wheelchair. Wow. Guy ended up in a wheelchair. Could never walk again. What was it like when your ex got out? And did she tell you stories of what happened to her inside? In, in Fort Augustus? In, in the woman's prison? Yeah. 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 Not really. She didn't tell me that many stories, but I know what it's like in there. It's a dormitory. So it's like 300, 500 women all in one room. So it's kind of worse than the, the men's prison in a way. The setup. Because you, like, imagine 300, 500 women in one room. Chaos. So it's like, it's a lot of, um, like, it's a lot of lesbian activity going on in there. Bitch fighting? A lot of bitch fighting going on in there. A lot of that shit going on in there. Like I'd say the, the, there's probably factors to the women prison that are worse than the men's prison. The men's prison is probably more dangerous Overall, because you, I don't think they got access to as many fuckery as we would, because they're on an island. So the, the women's prison is on an island. It's called Fort Augustus, so they got to take them on a little boat to go there. It's on a little island. And to my knowledge, at the time, there was only one prison for women. So it's the only prison. So if you're, going, if you're a woman and you're going to prison, you're going there. Right. I think they got different detention centres and stuff like that, and maybe jails. But... If you're, if you're a woman and you go in prison, that's the, I don't know if they've built another one since, but that was the only one I knew of. Which is quite, it's just on an island, so they've got to take you on an island to get there. Was she different when she got out? Yeah. In what way? You know, I've seen a few girls go in there and I think they all come out different. Yeah. I think they all come out different. A bit more serious. Yeah. Hey, um... Everyone's different. Everyone's different. Even she was a bit different, but then I don't think she was too right before she went in there. Anyway. So <laughs> it made much fucking difference to me, honestly. But um, what was her attitude towards you when she got out? It was. It was a bit. It was a bit. It was a bit difficulty because there was um, some personal things going on in her family at the time. Right. You know. Like, what was so the biggest change you felt? I, t I, t I tell you, I don't want to go into detail of it because it's her personal business, but um, her mother passed away while I was in prison. So while she was in prison, her mother passed away. So she, and, and she wasn't told till she come out. So that was, she had to come out to that. It forces you to grow up. Yeah. You go in there with like a childish brain and you come out thinking. Yeah, RIP to her mother. It was, yeah, it was very, it was very sad that that happened. So she had to come out to that situation. And um, and the family w was looking at me away because because it happened and I you understand what I mean? So they blamed you, more or less. More or less. Are you still in touch? No. 
cool with one of them. But not not in touch, no. Yeah. Not in touch. So it was it was it was whole I had to come out of that so it was getting very toxic there, you know what I'm saying? And then it was like um sister wanted to kill me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was <coughs> it was very difficult. So you were were you together when you came out or yeah. when she came out, sorry. Yeah. For how long? Not that long, but Basically, yeah, three couple months. Then up, that's the lead, and then the sting thing happens, and yeah. Heavy D comes on the scene, and <laughs> you know what I'm saying. This is all like in that process of that, and getting the passports back was crazy. Mm. How I got the passport because like her passport was missing as well. Mm. So the the same immigration officer had her passport and my passport. You know, so like was all out injured, which it was a bit more okay for her because she's. Got Jamaican family over there. Her family's Jamaican, so it's probably easier for her to sort things out than me, so to speak. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. And obviously, she didn't need she didn't need no one to receive her to stay over there because she's Jamaican. She can stay over there. You understand what I'm saying? So it's a whole different situation for her. But the immigration still had her passport, <clears throat> and after me being extorted, five hundred pound, near three hundred pound, whatever it was, for the from the first police officer. And I'm, I'm down, I remember I'm in Kingston, I'm, I was with her and we was in a restaurant called Jamrock, which is a nice Jamaican restaurant in New Kingston. Oh, wow. And we was in there having like a curry goat and rice and peas. And I just looked towards the bar. I'm eating my dinner with her. And I looked towards the bar, who do I see? Mr. Brown, the immigration officer. Oh. <laughs> now, I was happy to see him, because I want my passport. He's got it. This can go two ways. He's going to want to take me back, or I'll get my passport back. One of the two. But it's my only chance, because I, I had a number for him, but it wasn't going through. No, I didn't have a number for him. Sorry, I didn't. I ended up getting his number. I didn't have no contact for this guy. I just knew his name. So my only contact for him was the, pol was the policeman who was extorting me. And I ain't going through you no more to get my passport because you've just taken, you took 300 and asked for another 150. So I was happy to say, I was like, right, this is my only chance to talk to him. So he's at the bar having a bloody drink, having a beer with his friend at the bar of this restaurant. So I see him, I'm meeting my bloody dinner, I see him and I'm like, fucking hell, go on, go on, have a seat. So I, I leave my ex at the, at the table and I go up to the bar and I pretend, I pretend I don't see him at first. I'm there. I go next to him and I'm like, you know, he's there, he's there, having a word of his better side. Oh, Mr. Brown, how are you? And he looks, he says, oh, Neil Fetus, how are you? <laughs> it's a good reception straight away. He was a really cool guy. Immigration officer, really cool. I said, oh, Mr. Brown, how are you? I said, what were you drinking? Heineken, let me buy you a Heineken. Bought him a beer. I'm at the bar now, my, my food's at the table. I'm at the bar now, having a drink with him. He's oh, and he says to me, first thing he says to me, how's, the, how's your music career going? He says to me, because he said, I told him I'm staying in Jamaica to do my music. He said, how's your music career going? I said, yeah, it's going really well. I said, you don't happen to still have my passport. I said, <laughs> he says, yeah, I got your passport and I got your girls too. I didn't know he had my girls. I didn't know that. He said, I've got your passport and I've got your girls too. I said, you got hers as well? I said, oh, is it? Really? I said, how can I get it? I said, I said, listen, Mr. Brown, I've had a headache with this because I gave that policeman, because he knows the policeman who received me from him at the, at the airport. 
I gave him 300 pounds to give to you. I gave him 30,000 Jamaican dollars to give to you. He says to me, you never see him in a game, nothing. <laughs> I kind of gathered that. I kind of gathered that. So he was just leading me on, taking the fucking money off of me. He didn't even call the guy. He said he never heard from him. Remember, he come back to me and said, Mr. Brown wants another 150. Mm. And then Mr. Brown said he never even heard from him, guy. So he's just there milking the sh You know what I'm saying? I says, Mr. Brown, I've been going through... I was, I'm reasoning with the guy at the bar now, having a Heineken. I'm saying, Mr. Brown, I've been going through fucking headache, man. Hell, man. Like, this guy robbed me. He, 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 he genuinely felt sorry for me when I told him I gave three, four hundred pounds from get my part to give to you. Like you said it's free, you said it's 30,000 to get my, and then said it's 40,000 and then put the price up. So I told him I've been extorted and given the runaround just to try and get my passport back from you, Mr. Brown. Mm. He says to me, I said, can, is there any chance you can sort it out? He says, yeah, I'll, I'll get him back. He says, how much do you want? He says, give me 6,000. 60 pounds. Wow. I've got two passports back. Wow. So I'm there at the bar and I'm like, okay. He says, where, do you, where are you going to be later? Because he didn't have them on him, obviously. He's at the bar having a drink. He says, he said, where are you going to be later? I said, I'm going to be at Mixing Lab Studio in Kingston, East, Eastwood Park Road. He said, OK, I'll meet you there at 7 o'clock. I'll be there at 7 o'clock. So I'm thinking in my mind now, it's going to two ways it's going to work. You're going to turn up with the immigration squad <laughs> and the vans <laughs> and take me away. Or you get, because 6,000 is not a lot of money. So I'm thinking, do you really want this 6,000? He, he, he didn't look skint. You understand what I'm saying? He's there in a posh restaurant drinking at the bar. He didn't look like he's skint for this $6,000. You understand what I'm saying? So I was thinking, is this a setup? And it was too little money. So in part of my head was like, and, and I was in the studio full of all the artists. Was there, all of my friends and all of the guys who I've made friends with in the industry. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fucking embarrassing if they come and take me now in front of all you guys. So I was like, little did, I didn't tell anyone to anything just in case it went wrong. You know what I mean? I was like... Everyone's there, and he pulls up outside in the Jeep. Luckily, it was all cool. Giza was a diamond. Diamond Giza jumped in his car. He had two passports in the envelope, gave him 6,000 Jamaican dollars, got the passports back. That's it, bang. Back on road, got the passports back. But he said to me, look, you'll be all right for now, he says, but don't stay too long, because I can't stop them from coming to, not just me, he says, I can't stop them from coming to look for you. He like, obviously, like, you're all right for now. He says, I know they're going to, after three months, six months, they're going to want, like, how long am I going to stay in Jamaica for, basically? Like, okay, you, you're right for here, but it was like, they're going to come for you soon. Mm -hmm. So he warned me. So that's how I got the passport back. It's crazy. Like, it's such a one-off chance. Earlier on, you said that when she got out of prison, you guys were still together? Yeah. How did you maintain that while you were incarcerated? What do you mean? Your relationship? There wasn't no relationship. What together, man? Just in the same country together. The relationship's finished, really, isn't it? Like, she cheated on me when I was in prison. With who? With, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a guy, with an artist. And she told me when I'm in prison. Yeah. Like, the relationship, like, it's, it's more... I wasn't maintaining anything. It's just me being kind of loyal to the person who I came with. Because remember, I came to Jamaica with her. So even though I've came, we've gone prison, all of this has happened, and obviously the relationships basically been dismantled, destroyed. But I'm still sort of 
like she's still going through because of what happened to her. So she's still going. So I felt it'd be wrong for me not to be there for her, mm. even on a friend level. So were you happy that she'd moved on like the ex moved on with Heavy D? Yeah, I was over the moon that she moved on with Heavy D. Like, because she needed to move on. Yeah, she needed to move on because it wasn't, I was on a whole mission with her. Her family was really upset with me because of the situation I told you. And it wasn't going very well. And she needed to kind of spend time with her family. You know what I mean? And get things right there and whatever she was going through. It wasn't a time for us to be in a relationship. And then, I, and then I'm running around. I'm, I'm lacking, I've got tunnel vision. Tunnel vision, so like... I'm not fucking surprised. <laughs> I have to have tunnel vision for what I'm doing, so like, I was never focused, my, my whole thing is the, the music and my whole mission, not the relationship. It's not really what, what I was focused on. But yeah, this doesn't mean I'm not gonna be there for someone that I was came over for, no, no matter what. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Once you got the passports back, yeah. what, what was your game plan? Once I got the passports back, well, my, yeah, I gave her her passport, obviously. She can do what she wants from there. Like, it wasn't my duty to get her passport back. It was just, it was lucky that she, I didn't even know he had it. I was trying to get my passport back. But he said to me, I've got your girls as well. That's all right, well, give me that as well then. And I gave her her passport back. But my goal was just to carry on in Jamaica. I wasn't planning to do anything. I was standing, staying over there. I got my driving license brought over to me. So I wasn't even trying to go back to England. I was, I, my mission in Jamaica was staying over there. Like my, um, my dad's friend brought over my driving license for me so I could drive over there. So, so my police drive, you know, if you get pulled over, I can show them my driving license. So I got my driving license brought over for me. So now I'm in Jamaica with my driving license and my passport. I do whatever I want, I'm cool. Did Papa Wall visit you at that time? No, he couldn't because Papa Wall, who was gonna run the business? Mm. It would have been lovely for dad to come to Jamaica. It would have been lovely. I mean, it was always a dream of his. He always talked about... Tell us another funny story about him. About dad? Yeah, I enjoy them. Oh, he's got so many. He's got so many, man. He's got so many funny stories. I'll have, to, I'll have a think. Have a think. Well, we've got a list. What then caused you to have to leave Jamaica? Well, that was the heartbreaking thing. That was the heartbreaking thing. It was the... Um, because he got locked up, you know? And my mum's over there. Um, remember, we had the label business as well. So my mum single-handedly was trying to run the label business. The house is is in arrears and everything. And there's no money being made. My dad was the only, like, like what I said from the beginning, my dad's funding me this whole time. From start, from the prison onwards, he's funding me. Like, do you know how much yeah. thousands of pounds he sent me over? I couldn't even add it up. Um, I mean, talking about 500 to 1,000 pound a week for years. Like, he never sent me less than 500 pound a week. Wow. It's a lot of money. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? But did that get you quite far over there then? Yeah, of course it did. It's a lot of money in Jamaica. But still, when you're living the life as an artist, you're going around living the kind of high life. Mm. Not high, high life, but I'm paying for rentals at one stage. Cars, rent for apartments, this, drink, food. Money don't go... Far. Like, I know how to economise because I'm, in, I'm no longer living the tourist lifestyle. That's all out the window. Because the tourist lifestyle, you can spend money a lot. You go to the tourist resorts, it's just like anywhere else in the world. You go to tourist resorts, you're going to spend all your money. It's expensive. But I'm, I, 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 had to, 
I'm now like I'm living like a Jamaican citizen. I have to buy a thing cheaper stuff, survive. I'm living in an apartment, like that's reasonable rent. So it's still overheads. Nothing's cheap. Jamaica's not cheap. Jamaica's. Not, I'm doing the music business as well. I've got CDs to print. I'm on the um, studio sessions, records, posters, clothing, whatever it is. It's, nothing's cheap. Singles. Yeah, it don't last. Money don't last. You know. So he's. He would. I remember seeing my. Um, my, my dad's friend over there, the one that brought me the passport, and he said to me, because he didn't like my ex, like, he, he would have sent me more money if you were with her. Like, he, said, he, didn't like, he didn't like her at all. But he, I mean, he's constantly funded me the whole way. You know, so that's why he said when he got locked up, I had to go. I mean, how, am I, how else am I going to stay in Jamaica? Because right? I mean, we talk about the whole period, like, I'm in Jamaica for so long, and we had someone... I mean, that's why I keep reminding people that dad's hustling weed mile a minute in order for me to do this and his belief in me you know like is there, he really believe, he believed in me to do that not many that just say get your ass back over here and no he was happy to hustle to see me because he's selling high grade to the Jamaican community over there in England and having this that's why the Sting poster was on because the, the Sting is such a um, a big event in, in the reggae in the reggae world and he knew of the progress. So even as a Greek Cypriot who knows nothing about reggae music, just his being surrounding with his Caribbean friends, he learned about the progress I'm making out there. And he learned how hard it is to get on these shows and the things that I was doing. So he was, you see, like, I'm really doing well at what I'm doing. And he believed in me 100%. He said, this is, he, so he's, he's like 100% with me. And if it wasn't for that, there wouldn't be a tug of war. I wouldn't be here telling no stories. I wouldn't be here telling no story if it weren't for dad funding me from the, from the get-go. So you must have been devastated then when you had to come home. Yeah. You just spent all this time building your career. And... Yeah, yeah, absolutely devastated. Were you in shock for a bit or like? I went into a bit of depression because I felt like I couldn't come back without a hit song. Yeah. I felt like I couldn't come back without a hit song. I thought, I can't come back. Because I'm, I feel like I ain't, I ain't doing him proud. I haven't done. He's out there risking his life, hustling to support me. So when I go on stage, I can't afford to flop. When I go in the studio, I have to come back. I have to make something of this. Otherwise, I feel. Otherwise, I'll get. I'll be, I'll be very depressed that I haven't done it for his sake and for our sake. So you're working every day, were you? Yeah. Yeah. Literally, I never. And in Jamaica, I never enjoyed Jamaica as a holiday at all. The years I spent in Jamaica, I didn't. I'm not there on no beach. Drink, I'm in the studio. I didn't, like, I didn't even get a suntan. Because I'm in studios all the time. Yeah. I didn't even get a suntan. I'm in studios. I'm, I'm living the nightlife. I'm, I'm, you know, it's all towards my career. So even though the fun and the games and all of the stuff is, is just survival and all towards making my career happen. Mm. You know what I mean? Did you fly home alone? Yeah. No weed? No weed, no weed. Nah, from that, I'll never, I'll never travel with weed again, ever. Not a good ever. pair of trainers? It's not worth it. No, no, no. Even I... The lucky trainers. Nah, oh, mate. Even if I go Amsterdam or something now, like I went Amsterdam and Barcelona in the last few years, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't travel with no weed ever again, man. It's just not worth it. And it's on my record. It's on my record. So as soon as I go in the airport, I mean, I, they, they flat. Oh, it's him! I'll flag up on the system straight away. <laughs> I'm a smuggler. Yeah. 
I'm sure you, you probably got something on your system. Like they're gonna, we, we go in these places, they're going to say, oh, here they are. <laughs> they're watching out for us. On the way back, I got searched thoroughly. I remember on the way back, they searched me mad thoroughly, like took me in a room. Because that's the, the first time I came back when the overstay, because I overstayed and they thought I smuggled again. So they've ripped me apart on the way back. I didn't have anything, obviously. But they've double checked me and took me in a room and checked every little bit just to make sure I wasn't. You know what I mean? When was the last time you were away? What? In a like a holiday. A holiday? Oh, just before the pandemic. No, I don't. I, I can't say holiday. I never had a holiday. <laughs> I never had a holiday in my life. You sound like Sean. No. <laughs> I never had a holiday. This is like, I never really had a holiday. It's, all, it's always been work orientated. It's always been like, even I've been, I've been in different countries, but it's to do a show or to do that. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Let's go so, hit up the dam. Just, uh, <laughs> even Amsterdam, I think our last holiday might have been a little weekend in Amsterdam, and that's not really a big holiday. I've never been. Have you ever been to Amsterdam? No, I really want to go. Oh, Amsterdam's beautiful. They've got that world-famous sex show. Oh, yes. So have you been? <laughs> have you been to that? What? Madame, <laughs> Madame whatever's world-famous sex show in Big Holland. Thing. What's it called? I can't remember, I've been two days. Yeah. <laughs> two days at the sex show. Nah, Amsterdam's crazy. Amsterdam's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've got to make that happen. Definitely. We go over to Amsterdam. It's like you're all lined up in this. It's like theatre style, isn't it? Yeah, I did the sex. According to TripAdvisor, if you're considering seeing a live sex show, Casa Rosso is the original live sex show of Amsterdam. It's the one with the big pink elephant. They have smaller theatres with the same sort of thing, and the Moulin Rouge and Banana Bar are alternative spots with less people, more involvement, different acts, etc. Christmas do. <laughs> nice. It's, you, know, you need to go and experience it. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, I'm coming, definitely. I'll be there. When you went, did they still have the guy dressed in the banana suit? Oh, I don't think so. Doing like the Congo. Yeah. I think it's always thought I wouldn't want to sit on those seats around there. You know, the peep shows. Yeah. You'd want yeah. to clean them with a bit of dental wipe or something. Like, I mean, with fetishes, so they were like smoking cigars or they were like cleaning, and then that was like the fetish windows. You know, oh. Like bigger women and. Casa Russo is like a theatre style. <laughs> How many times have you been? Only once. <laughs> 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 and there's various acts, but it's almost like Cirque du Soleil, some of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like they go that they come and hang off the ceiling and all kinds. Wow, yeah. that's mad. Interesting. Um, my, my brother's run strip clubs in Cyprus. Has he? Yeah, my brother runs one of the biggest strip clubs in Limassol called Monte Carlo. Monte Carlo. Monte Carlo. Yeah. Has he been in Cyprus? No. You want to do some filming in Cyprus, James? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we got to go down to the strip clubs. Yeah. Yeah. Go up, stand yeah. filming, and then what? All the strip clubs of the world. Yeah. It's yes. <laughs> Interview, interview the girls, get the stories. Oh, mate! Yeah! yeah. yeah. Heavy deep! Oi! Oi, let's start. It's crazy, man. That's crazy. His story's crazy, man. His story's crazy. So, do you guys want to go to a Thai restaurant then? Should we do that? What now? Yeah, we could pit stop at mine. It's four. It opens at five. And we could keep filming the GoPros in the Thai. Definitely. Do you guys want to do that? So, if you're watching this then, Come with us to the Thai restaurant. Yes. This podcast is not ending here. No. We're going to say goodbye for now, but we're going to have the GoPros going in the Thai restaurant and we will have a laugh in there. You get to meet Victoria. You get to meet 
your social media system. So just for the closing credits then, the uh, links for Tug of War's YouTube channel are in the description box below this video. Go and check out his stuff. It's mad. The videos are mad. The cars, the guns. As usual, he's got his intense energy. Go over there and see him full force. I urge people to subscribe. And he said a lot of the viewers have already gone over, sent him comments. Huge thank you to guys. For Jen, we're gonna we'll put the trailer for Jen's stuff at the end of the restaurant visit. But she's got the organic cotton clothing company and da -da -da -da. Oh amazing. Thank you so much, and Jen. Oh my god, go. I'm spoilt so, today. Thank you so no, much. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, I can't wait. I'll be modeling these for I'll be putting the I'll be modeling these on my Instagram and that. Definitely. <laughs> thank you so much, Sean. Yeah, thank, thank you so, so much. much. Yeah, cheers, cheers. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank yeah, so let us know in the video what you thought of today's. Yeah. This is only part three. Yeah. We've got a, a series going here. Exactly. If you want to watch parts one and two, the links will be down there in the description box as well. And if you've got any questions for Tugger or Jen, put them in the comments and in part four. We will put those questions to these guys as well. So please stay tuned. Come and join us in for Thai food. Thanks for everyone. Bless up. Here at Boomer and Jen, we offer a wide range of organic or recycled clothing. We all know our planet is important. We only have this one. So it's vital that we all work together to slow down and reverse the changes to the environment. Whilst we all know that big industry are having a significant effect on pollution, here at Boomer and Gen, we believe that if we all make small changes, we can do our part. Fast fashion causes detrimental effects to the planet. Not only is nearly 20% of global wastewater produced by the fast fashion industry, but there is a considerable amount of fast fashion ending up in landfill. So let's move away from fast fashion items that are only worn once or twice and start wearing extremely comfortable, durable and environmentally friendly clothing and ethical jewellery. Boomer and Jen was founded in a quiet town in Devon, in 2018. It has now gone from strength to strength as the world is becoming more aware of the current climate situation, helping our customers to buy sustainable, quality clothing. All of our products are fair trade and registered with the Global Organic Textile Standard Association. Check us out on organiccottonclothing.co.uk